If Maury supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. Sure, America's next. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Sending out good vibes. Uh, he fell off the stage, uh, broke his knee, and then he uh, he went in for orthopedic surgery. You know, this is like lightweight. We're just gonna, you know, give you a little bit of anesthesia and put your knee back together, kind of surgery. And they and he uh, they gave him the anesthesia, and he didn't wake up. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. Uh, we're gonna be chatting with Olav Phillips a little bit later. I'm sure you guys remember him, friend of the show. Great guest. Uh, it does get a little weird at times. I'm I was still not back from my vacation. What do you mean it gets weird? It's weird with my audio, doesn't it? And then I cut out early. Oh yeah, you did just fucking leave early. That's right. Because yeah. I was on vacation. It took us an hour and a half to get fucking started because I wasn't here to help you guys set up. It was the Zoom issue. That's, That's right. right. It was it zooming. That's what I'm saying. Blaming Zoom. Anyway, it's a fun chat, long chat, good chat. Olav's a good dude. And, uh, yeah, it's always fun to chat with Olav. Of course, we got everybody's favorite steam puff here, Graham Steam Puff Dunlap. How's it going, buddy? Hot. Yeah. Steam Puff's the opposite <laughs> of snowflake, of course. It's like a hot snowflake. And you looking a little skinnier? Yeah, I lost a few pounds. Looks yeah. like you're sucking yeah. your gut in a little, a little but bit, that's yeah. okay. A little bit. It's okay. Got to do that for the side view of the camera. Yeah, that's right. I'd rather face you than the camera. But yeah, it's going pretty good. Still off wheat and sugar. It's going good. They say no sound, Brody. You're still off wheat and sugar? Yeah. Really? Playing ketchup. I, uh, I am also off wheat and sugar. Really? Yeah. And but dairy. Not, and dairy. Except butter. Dairy. Cheese, too. Off cheese. Man, that makes it even that much tougher. Cheese is a cheat sometimes. Hammer into some fucking cheese. But, uh, yeah, no cheese. Yeah, it's going pretty good still. I do a bit of uh, ghee and butter. Yep, yep. That's good. Ghee's good. I was actually at the Tim Hortons drive-thru today getting a coffee looking at the... uh, Fucking breakfast sandwich was looking good. Oh. I was like, can I just get the meat from that somehow with the cheese melts on it? But I didn't break down. I powered through. Good things. So what's new, buddy? How you been? Pretty Second good. show from the new studio. Yeah, pretty good. It's getting better and better here. We're almost, you know, we got a little oh. bit of ways to go here, but it's going good. James Nation just texted me and said that the sound is working on YouTube. Oh, good. Thanks, James. Just so we know. When's the handler going to come by and see us? He keeps saying he's going to come by when he chooses to answer my text. I said yo to him on Monday, January 7th, and he just responded. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I've publicly audited him, he'll probably text me tomorrow and invite me for lunch. But we'll have to get him out here maybe next week. Yeah, Come out to the show next Wednesday, James. Help us set some shit up. So what's new, buddy? How you been? Good. I went to, uh, you want to hear about the C5? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I want to hear all about that. The one you invited me on? You can't hold me back anymore, can you? No, everybody's wanting you to come yeah. out now, so it's, it's, you're going to have to That must just content. fucking drive you crazy. Why? And they're like, I want you to come out. Do you? Yeah, you're ready. Okay. You're ready. Excellent. I'm ready. Yeah. I'm like... Just leave your hate at home and... 
long you can fill your heart full I'm of love like and young Luke Skywalker. You're ready. You're like Darth Vader. <laughs> so that day, so I, I'll tell you the story, a little bit of the story. So that day, Can't wait. I was thinking about doing more of like, like, a, you know, an affirmation for Grimerica or an intention, you know, something like that. Right. I was thinking, what would I do? Like, how would I do that? Cause you know, you want to try and keep it positive and you don't want to include negatives in the, in the, like if you were to do a mantra or something. That's right. So I was thinking, and we knew and I talk about being of service and how that's an important thing. Like if you just, if you just make sure that you're serving people or serving others, everything should work out. So I was thinking, well, what if it was something like, you know, Grammar continues to help people or, you know, we continue to help others. Cause we didn't even start out to do that. It's not like we do that, but somehow. You know, I don't think we're helping anyone do anything other than kill time. Some people say it. So I know they I do. Know, yeah, that's, that's, you know. that's just my perception. But of then, it. but then, what else could I, I mean, do? We're like, helping me. But what else we could do? Other journey. we can do other ways, right? Things that other things we're working on could help others. Under you know, we got some America stuff. We got some irons in the so, fire that could help. So, anyways, that was kind of my my thought process. So I go to CSETI. It's my first time leading the whole thing. Like I've led some of the meditations before, but I'm training for CAC when we go to contact in the cabin with all oh, these. You're running. You're going to run a couple events oh, at CAC. Dude, yeah, one we're gonna, we're one go for sky each group. We're going to CE five it up. We're going to see all kinds of stuff flying around. CAC 2019 yeah, at HD ready, Travel Me. Maybe there'll be landings. You guys everybody's are going to get to play Dungeons and ja- Dragons with Graham. I don't think you're going to be able to convince Randall to play Dungeons and Dragons. Graham will play, but I'm sure Randall will come out and do some sea setting with you guys. And he'll definitely blow your minds with some fireside chats. Yeah. And he's going to show you some crazy geology. Get a CAC ticket. Seriously, you're going to be fucking sorry if you miss this. Oh, this is funny. So I told Adam as well that we were going out and what time we were starting the thing at. Because it was an early start, you know. It was an outdoor thing. It's like five degrees probably. five five. It went probably five to minus three, something like that. I don't think it got below zero. Anyway, it was pretty cold. But it didn't feel that cold. No wind. So Adam said, look straight up at 7. But we got there at like 7.03. Like I was trying to look up because I thought, who knows, man? Adam's been getting these remote viewing things bang on. Him and Justin and with his cat in the box. Uh, Which time podcast. zone? Which time zone? Well, 7 so, his time or 7, seven your time? 7 my time. Okay. Our time. That was coordinated <clears throat> beforehand? What was? The time zone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was specific to say 9 his time. So we get there, we set up, and it's cloudy. It's cloudy, quite cloudy. Little bubble clouds all over, like, you know, those little puffy, puffy clouds, little steam New puffy moon? clouds. No, not no. quite. That, that, was the, that was the only downfall. It's a little bit of a quarter moon. So I'm asking, so we get it set up and all that, and we're saying, like, right away, when we got it, we're going to have to put out this intention to get rid of these clouds. Because sometimes, you know, that might, that seems to, to help. So you guys did cloud burst and NC setting? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Enough wow, giggling, giggling from that's the that's peanut gallery. <laughs> you can cram all, all that into all, one night. All I hear is that's Brody. That's how people get killed. Brody in the back of <laughs> Keep your giggles to yourself over there. Uh, so... So I set we set up we set up in the circle and I asked for I'm going around about like what are what are our intentions, right? What are our group intentions? 
So I started and I talked about how I like to see something visual. Like I, you know, visualizations aren't easy for me. I want to see something tangible, right? And, and as I say, I want to see something. I look up to the left sky, flashbulb, pop. Everybody's like, whoa, right when you said you wanted to see something, flashbulb, pop. And then another one came, just like confirmation for the people that didn't see it. And I was thinking, that is incredible. Oh, that works. And then I thought, I thought of Adam, right? And he did send two. He did send two blue. He he called them blue lights. He sent two blue lights to to show themselves. Interesting. I might eat mushrooms when I come out. No, you can't do that. Really? No. That's a rule. Yeah. There's no doobie smoking. What? Oh boy, this is a problem. <laughs> now we have a problem. You have to take it off a night. You no, know, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to take my. You're gonna have to take this up with the team. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out again. You're out already. You're out already before it even started. Yeah. So anyway, so I did the. Sing- I got to trying to get the singing bowl working. So we started the. So you allowed singing bowls, the- but no doobies. That's right. Interesting. And it wouldn't play. And it was so. I, I figured it's cold a little bit, so I had to sh- sh- rub it. And like just, and then. Do you guys wear swastikas when you go up? What the fuck, dude? Come on. What is that all about? Anti-doobie smoking. So I sing, we play the singing bowl, look up, clear sky completely. So you cloud bursted with the singing bowl? I don't know. I don't know if it was our intention or both or the singing bowl. We should have brought your singing bowl today so we could try and burst the fog. So the other thing, I'm just ignoring you now. You're just being, being a tool. The other thing is we get to. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I don't so like met, the anti-doobie smoking policy of your C-SETI group. It's archaic. I might be able to get you. Okay. <laughs> you know some people. <laughs> You'll put in a good word for me. <laughs> no, we could just slide in the back door. <laughs> just keep it out of the circle. And I won't say anything. Is a circle? Oh, jeez. Well, yeah, that's how you line up around in the circle. Interesting. So before we went there, we met to to, to carpool out to this place. And um, Celia had these galactic heritage cards. So it's like a deck of tarot cards, right? And it's from the Lisa Royal Holt. She was one of the original CSETI members. 56, so, right? No, 108. 108 in this deck. Interesting. Randomly ended up being 108, which is one of the more sacred numbers. Oh, we know. So, so guess what card I pull? Lion. What? Lion. No. Lion, lion. Dragonfly. No. The dragonfly was from the last time I was... Just got to pull it up. Uh, Number 64. 64. Devotion to service. Nice one. Crazy how those cards work sometimes. Eh? Yeah. How how bang on, like after I was doing that whole intention and trying to figure out how to how to ban and, and, and it was the Pleiades, the Pleiades uh, card, and it says present on it. I, I I can't remember what that part of it means. It means you need to stay present. Devotion to service, present. Yeah, I don't know what that means. I should read about that. So, yeah, the other thing is the you know the Pleiades were up in the middle of the sky that night. Are the Pleiades the one by Orion's belt? Uh, a little bit further up. Actually, Orion's belt was pretty bright, too. Yeah, I've been really noticing Orion in the mornings. Yeah. Oh, where I'm at, the yeah. stars in the morning are fucking crazy. Yeah. 
I don't know why. The city seems, it seems darker in the morning for some reason than it does in the evening. Yeah. Like the city's le- causes less of a Yeah, less thing. light. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, there was a pretty quiet night after that. I mean, we saw a couple uh, couple satellite type things roaming around. And, and that was the last one until March. No, no, we'll go to next year in February if you want to come. February? Yeah. If you what can weekend? sober up in time. I can pass the drug test. Yeah. <laughs> Pee in a cup. Yeah. <laughs> right on. That was a good adventure. I should have. Uh, thanks for the uh, breakdown of the C SETI segment. I'll get us out of here with the jingle. Whoops. Okay. There we go. <laughs> we had the new moon, dark sky, which is great. <laughs> Camping, pitched a tent, went back there for the night. Crystal I think I'll wait till March. So I had to read that All right, whatever. A little warmer. And that shit starts happening. Okay, turn this down. So I got a, I got an email from one of the one of our our guys that uh, come out, Jason. Actually, he's seen a couple Sasquatches too. We should get him in the studio. We should get a couple people in here to do a little Sea City talk. It'd be fun. Absolutely. So he says. uh Hi, everyone. I just had the coolest thing happen to me like 20 minutes ago, and I wanted to share it with as many people as possible. So I'm hijacking this email thread. So I don't even know if he, I, like, he didn't send it to me. This I'm sort of well, you're pulling it say out his another. name and read it on the show. Oh, well, Jason doesn't mind. He loves okay. insane. Okay. Uh, he runs a, he's probably going to start running another little local group. So if anybody in the local area wants to, to go out, there's lots of room. So at about 1.45 p.m. today, as long I was as you can northbound. pass the drug test. Yeah, exactly. I was northbound on Highway 2, just a little bit north of High River. Into the sky, to my right, I see this huge, silvery-white object. It was long and had two humps. My first thought is daytime UFO. Sweet. But then I start doubting it as heading north and slowly descending. So I think to myself, it must be a plane. But it didn't look at all like a plane. And it was really big and not that far away. I don't know. It just didn't seem like a plane. So also now I'm thinking about it with some 2020 hindsight, no lights on it at all. As big and as close as it was, I should have seen the flashing lights if it was a plane. So anyways, he says, I sent a message to it telepathically. If you were a UFO, please give me a sign, a flash, a light or something, and nothing at all happens. At that point, I had to pass a car that was in the lane beside me. So I look away four seconds, if that. Look back, object gone. I look everywhere, and it's not there. No way this was a plane that suddenly disappeared. It was huge and would be easily to spot again, moving very slow. 110% not a plane. So the sign was disappearing. The super funny part is just minutes before I was thinking about the CE5 dates coming up that I needed to start getting out and doing them more. Next time I see a daytime UFO, I'll take pics and ask, ask questions later. <laughs> yeah, you should really just take the pictures right it's, away. It's hard. It's you hard. You, you, can't, you don't want to ruin the and moment. And you need a real camera. Like, you know what I seen the other day, which looked really cool. I was actually going to text you as I went out right after sunset. And there was a fucking chemtrail, as you would call it, persistent contrail, as I might call it, going right over the mountains. And you could see where, like, the front of it looked like it would look like it, it was, was a hitting, torch. Because the sun was Because the sun it? was yeah. going through yeah. the one end, so it was very bright orangish pink, and the yeah. back was still gray. It yeah. looked fucking amazing. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. I pulled out my iPhone to try and take a picture, and it didn't Let me work. guess. It doesn't turn out. 
No, this is what this is what our, the lens this, is too small, right? Look at how small this lens is. But this is the difficulty. Everybody's like, why aren't we seeing more of them? We have, you know, cell phones everywhere. First of all, you don't want to ruin the moment. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to turn away and then, you know, it disappears or you miss something even crazier. You just want to focus on it the whole time. And second of all, even if you get a picture of something that seems anomalous to your eyes, it, on the phone, it just doesn't look the same. Yeah, the, the iPhone doesn't. The, the phones don't catch it. They're good for up-close pictures. That's it. They even don't even really catch scenery well. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. And you take these mountains. I, I didn't said say anything. Right. You just you just did a gun motion at me, buddy. I seen that, Mister. I hate guns. I'm gonna get into this one here. Do you have more? Oh, you, well, I, I have a trip report for uh, later. Okay, I'm gonna do the. Let's go to some social media jangle. God, I hate the fucking update on this fucking page manager app. It's so annoying. Not having a Facebook account and trying to run a Facebook page are trouble. So we got here from our buddy Addy Harvey to Grimerica. Trying to listen to the Richard Gage episode. And the background rustling and mic bumping noises are terrible. If you want people to donate to your show, then you have to make it sound more professional. It sounds like someone's throwing up in the background and rustling sweet wrappers or something. If the content of this interview wasn't so good, I'd have given up listening altogether. And then I said, thanks for listening and thanks for your support. And he said, well, considering the audio problems... I'm I'm giving value for value. Nothing. That's it. What uh, does that mean? I guess it's because our audio is so bad. He needed an excuse not to support. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that was pretty bad. There it's was, difficult I think she because was eating chips, but I can't do it. No, it's a she wasn't of, eating chips. I don't think there was just <laughs> people don't realize like people that haven't done a lot of podcasting stuff. And I mean, we should probably do a better job at informing people the like some guidelines. But it's tough because you think people understand that. But people, if they haven't been doing it a lot, they don't understand that all this banging around in the background is going right through their Mac or their, their laptop mic and causing a ruckus, right? Causing a ruckus. Hey? Where the heck did... And the other thing is earphones. If people don't wear earbuds, then... It's tough. It's tough to control. So, I mean, what well, are you going to do? Gonna, was, talk well, to I guess given the sound issues and it's not the first time, I'm giving value for value. And what does that mean? I don't know. Does that mean nothing then? I guess because so. There was so. The reason I wanted to read it is because I, I, is cause our buddy Jared Jelly Drake came back. And I thought Jared might be missing in Man Overboard. Yeah. But he's back. He actually sent us our first package. Nice. Remember, he sent us the flag and the yeah. candy from New Zealand, which now today we couldn't eat. Because you don't need sugar. So, what, are we are we at audio top problems in the past? As I say that, my mic is messing up right now. I mean, no, your mic sounds fine. Okay. 
So it's a shitty head. We had, have we had audio well, every problems once in a while. We had, every, every once in a while, we got to guess that. No, but what were, what were the other ones then? I mean, people should give us feedback on this because. Yeah, he didn't mention. Most, most of the comments below that say that our stuff is pretty fine most of the time. Yeah. But the challenging part is in the middle of something like that, I mean, especially with one like that, that's uh, with three people, it's very quick. It's been hard like, to get we'd them We'd love to send them all in. out headsets and stuff like that, but we don't, uh, you know. You can't, yeah. That's what Buddy does, right? Yeah. He sends out a fucking $20 headset to all his interviews. So. Yeah. We and can barely like, afford to keep the lights in, on. Right? Is it a headset or just ear, ear, earbuds? I think it's earbuds. You might have a little mic on it too. You never know, but that might be hard to set up for people. Jared Jelly Drake came in, said, that's obviously valuable feedback that these guys desperately need to continue on their self-funded, self-researched, self-administered, self-started in their spare time, put the kids to bed early, wake up in the middle of the night to interview someone on the other side of the world who sometimes doesn't show up. Yeah. Podcast. They will take it on board and use it to increase the quality of the show that is freely available to us all. I know them personally, and I can guarantee they will do their best. But in saying that, we are holding our breath, waiting for your podcast to come out. And he goes on for a bunch of other stuff along that, but I'll leave it at that. And we will do our best to address that. It's really hard in the moment to to stop you can't that stop people. and say listen you're being too loud like sometimes you can it depends if, if we have a legitimate problem with somebody that we kind of know but if it's somebody like that it's very <laughs> difficult to, to say that what someone in the chat said they miss your lip smacking sounds before we got the gate <laughs> remember way back in those days those days we, we never even used to have a fucking gate i know you hear me clicking the pen yeah you smacking your mouth and we thought we had good audio back then too. yeah turns out we're shit yeah Anyways, um, thanks for the good feedback. What else do I got? Oh, I'm going to phase out the speak pipe. Okay. And go with the phone number. Okay. So I'll, we're going to do a, we'll record the voicemail later. We okay. should record a voicemail together. So we're going to ditch the speak pipe. People don't like doing it on the website, clearly, because we've only got like, I was on the speak pipe account the other day and it was some guy like lobbying to come on the show was the message that we got really but it's like we've got 22 messages in like three years of having speak pipe so I'm, you know it's like 20 bucks a month so i'm just gonna cut speak pipe oh, out yeah, yeah, yeah. and try this phone out for a while and see if we need and the beauty about the phone is that i'm thinking is you could text it so then we have a text and voicemail line okay cool um but, but the other way oh so what happened there holy fuck what the fuck's you, see, this is what happens in the middle of an episode. The audio just pops and something completely changes. Yeah, something happens. And it's, uh, so how do we deal with this? How do we troubleshoot this one and get value for value? What, what just happened? Do we just scrap the whole intro? I mean. It's like you're, something on your gate just gave away or something. How's that for lip smacking sounds now? Sounds pretty good, huh. I don't know what happened there. It just, it seemed to come back though. That was weird. Someone's got some stories. Oh. That was probably fucking Addy. Maybe he's a witch. Anyway, where was I? That was fucking weird. What was I saying? Oh, yeah. So we're going to do the phone number. Which no, I was going to say the chats. Like, if people want to also get a hold of us, it's easy. Jump in the chats. They can direct messages. Even people do that all the time. 
How do you get it to show your phone number? Oh, here it is. <clears throat> so the phone, the call in and text line, the new call and, in. And we'll put this in the show notes. Exactly. The new call in text line for the Grand America Show is 1 403 702 6083. Can we come up with a good, like, voicemail? No, like a good, like, what that, what that, can we letter that out? Ooh, let's see. No, you won't have to do it now, but. 702. So, PQ. It's going to be tough with O. The zeros make it tough. What's a zero? Could we make the, the O a zero? Yeah, just make the zero an O. Interesting. That might be difficult for people to, they might have to explain a bit too much. I'd like to know what popped. It's still, it's still going back and forth. I know something's wrong here. Something's wrong. Something just switched up. Anyways, let's not, let's just fit, let's get this thing done before we lose value. <laughs> where our, where the value is pouring out the window as we speak. Okay, what else you got? <laughs> well, do you want to keep going on the the support thing, or and then, or I got a trip report. Yes, do that. Grimerica.ca/support. What uh, I don't know what the fuck that was. We doing the trip report. Try unplugging your mic and plugging okay. it back. Yes, I'll play a jingle. Okay. American Trip Report. Check, check. Oh, it's no, better. That. Good right. new. So I just, how do you just unplug shit and plug it back in? Hi, my name is Bradley Knight, and I'm from a little town near Sarnia, Ontario, called Inwood. I'm 26 years old and have been listening to you guys for a year now. And I wanted to tell you boys about an out-of-body experience I had about six years ago when I was living in my uncle's camper down by the river. No, he didn't say that. Um, down on my luck and not doing well in life. One day I was smoking weed like I always do, chilling in the camper. It was windy as fuck, so when I opened the door, it would get blown open. I finished a bowl and went to step outside, and the wind blew the door so hard it slipped out of my hand, then swung back and hit me in the temple part of the head. Next thing I remember is being in a, think, a thick pink fog and three of my father's close friends in front of me. But they were not my father's friends. I knew they were beings from the other side. Are you done? The fucking EQ popped. <clears throat> That's what broke. Really? Yeah, if I turn the bypass of the EQ on, you sound okay. Keep talking? Check, check. I don't know. I don't know anymore. It's still real fuzzy. It sounds better with the bypass. Okay. So this is a pretty creepy story here. So he says he know they he knew they weren't his father's friends, but they were being from beings from the other side. They had picked forms that I would recognize so that I wouldn't be scared. They started to tell me about my future and said that everything will be okay, not to give up and that life would get better. At the end of our conversation, they told me as proof that I wasn't crazy and it wasn't just a crazy brain fuck that weed would be legal in about five years. Everything else they told me, everything else they told me about, they only told me that weed would be legal because I needed to remember the event exactly five years later. 
So last October, I burned my hands in a kitchen fire and spent 13 days in the hospital. I felt the fire was a wake-up call and made a deal with myself to be a better human in general. And while in the hospital, I had Wi-Fi, so I started watching podcasts and found Duncan Trussell on JRE. That led me down the path to Ram Dass, and my true spiritual path began. I was into conspiracy as a, as a kid, so when I found TFH, I found your show, THC, and other people who have helped me to understand the true nature of the universe, that we are all one. Sorry that was so long, and I didn't even get into the details. I want to thank you both for helping me on my path. I'll be riding my motorcycle to Lloyd Minster to see a family sometime this spring or summer. So if you want to have me on for a talk about my experience on the other side, I would be honored. And I also have a theory that Canada is Noah's Ark for cultures, for the NWO. <laughs> and like the Trudeau is Castro's son idea. <laughs> Much love, Bradley. Is my mic even working? Yeah. Thanks for the email, Bradley. Absolutely. And maybe, yeah, we should, maybe we should get you on for, uh, and you can explain that a little bit more detail. Always very interested in those experiences and how they shift people's perspective as well. And then I guess I'm assuming five years later, pot became legal. Where is he driving through? Uh, I just close it down. To Lloyd Minster. Yeah, Lloyd Lloyd Minster. Probably from Sarnia. Holy fuck. Was that a long drive? Yeah. Oh, Lloyd Minster's on the... Uh, it's up by Saskatchewan on yeah. the border there, yeah. God damn it. These mics are driving me crazy now. I swear I'm coming through your mic and not mine. I'm not sure, though. Actually, that doesn't sound too bad there. So thanks for everybody putting up with our testing as we do this. Everything testing was on the fly. Fine. Everything was fine, but, you know, what can you do, right? I'm pretty sure it's the EQ. I'll right. have to bust it off of okay, there. Okay, let's do the, the UFO jingle then, and we'll wrap this up. Got to talk about CAC, too, probably, right? Right. It's a profound UFO quote of the week. Words to ponder and critique. It's a profound UFO quote of the week. From their questions, I could tell they had a good idea of what the saucers are. One officer admitted they did, but he wouldn't say anymore. And that was a commercial pilot after questioning by intelligence officer in 1950. Man, it still blows me away how far back these go. Okay, I'll do another one. We all know that UFOs are real. All we need to ask is, where did it come from? That was Captain Edgar D. Mitchell... Apollo 14, astronaut, 1971. The list of everything ever said about a UFO ever continues. Yeah. (laughs) Do I do another one? One more, sure. I have absolutely no idea where the UFOs come from or how they are operated, but after 10 years of research, I know they are something from outside our atmosphere. Dr. James E. McDonald, professor of atmospheric physics, University of Arizona, 1967. Actually, I want to look into this guy, this guy's work a little bit more. Maybe we can read some of his work on our black budget feed. Why don't we have him on the show? Oh, he's long gone. He's dead? Yeah. 
It's too bad. Let's try. <laughs> Why is that funny? Well, we could try have him on if you want to communicate. We could have a medium on. Maybe we could channel with him. We could channel him. Maybe. Yeah, let's try that. If we're going to do that, we should have Napoleon Hill on too. Could we bring in the same psychic and do like three interviews in a day? That's a good, <laughs> we should, that's a good news of psychic podcast yeah. or interviewing like dead famous people. We're on to something. We're on to something. Let us know if you know a good psychic <laughs> channeler. We got a show idea. Medium, I think, is the... A medium? Right, yeah. Oh, is that like saying midget? No, no, no. It's frowned upon? No, no, no Jesus. That, that one hits you especially close to home, doesn't it? Midget? Yeah. Oh, I don't care. No? Dwarf, on the other hand. Ooh. No. Huh. I thought dwarf was... Isn't dwarf better? I dressed as Bilbo. I mean, come on. I know. Man, just like it was Frodo. You said it's Frodo. Oh, Frodo. Frodo. Yeah. <laughs> we know. You tell us every chance you get. <laughs> anyway, what else we got? Support the show. Grimerica.ca slash support. Check out the radio. Grimerica.ca slash FM. Contact at the cabin. You want to talk about Contact that? at the cabin. Yeah, we're, we're going to have Randall on, I think, in February. We should have him on for an episode again. So we're meeting Randall Carlson for 10 days in May in Colorado near Pagosa Springs. And we're going to, we're invited a bunch of people. Everybody's welcome. That's right. There's some room left still. Yeah, there's, there's three, seats left. three different uh, separate weekends. and Yeah, it all takes place May 17th to 27th. Um, there's a website. Uh, H- HDTravel.me. Right? Yeah. And there's a, the email is CAC, CAC2019 at HDTravel.me. Um, basically you go out there, you're going to get to go on some tour. You're going to stay in the same house. It's a, a giant estate, 122 acre property, um, huge space, game rooms and all that sort of fun stuff. It's got a couple of kitchens. Randall's going to stay there. Uh, grandma and myself will stay there. We're going to do some outings with Randall, one with each group, go and check some stuff out. We're going to, um, probably, I mean, there's so much stuff to check out in that area. I'm sure we'll end up doing something at the four corners at some point. Ground's going to do some C SETI stuff, probably some D and D plan. I'm sure at some point Randall's going to give some lectures. Um, yeah, just a bunch of good times. Yeah. And Colorado's a legal state too for the pot smokers. You won't be allowed in the C SETI event if you're smoking <laughs> pot probably, but <laughs> you could, it's worth coming down. There's a bunch of spots left, uh, at least half anyway. Get in there, get them soon before we all start going to other pools and getting people from there. We'd like to have as many Americans there as we can. Um, but I think, you know, Randall's gonna getting ready to, we're probably going to announce it on Randall's channels in the next week or two. So uh, get in, get your deposit down at least. and uh, We wanted to get as many happen. of our listeners out there as possible. We want to meet up and... Uh, before we start opening it up yeah so we're probably down to the last week or so of that before it's opened up and i'm I'm assuming it's going to go fast as soon as that happens so by the way that ticket does come with your breakfast and your lunches and transportation yeah not from call not from denver you go to denver you're on your own just we'll we'll get get you the daily transportation and all that and if you fly to pagosa or not not durango if you're in Durango, we'll pick you up. Anyway, get some fucking tickets for that. Support the show. Sign up for the newsletter. Review this shit. All that good stuff. And uh, sorry for for the uh, loss of value there for a few minutes. <laughs> when the 
audio hiccup came through. Other than that, enjoy the chat with the one and only Olav Phillips. got Olav Phillips back in Grimerica. I think it was like three years ago, at least when he was on. He's a conspiracy researcher and writer. He's publisher of the Paranoia magazine and the podcast as well. I don't know, it focuses on all kinds of stuff. I think last time we talked about uh, some secret space program stuff, as well as um, his favorite conspiracy, which is now eluding me. Something three. What is it again, Olav? Alternative three. Alternative three. Yeah, I had it in front of me and then I missed it. So yeah, but uh, we'll talk about all kinds of stuff now. Welcome back to the show, buddy. Thanks, man. Why? Why did it take three years? I love you guys. I can't. I can't. Well, when I looked at it the other day, I was like, "There's no way it's been three years." But yeah, it's been three yeah. years, man. I love it. Too long. Too long. And so much has changed since oh, then, you know, man. Just, like, I know. Go ahead, we Jerry. haven't even done a black budget show yet, which is weird because we've been talking about doing one from since we started the black budget. I think you were the first guy to email me and say, hey, let's do a black budget show. What? The black budget is the best since it's black and, and dark and nobody knows what it is. Yeah, we can get Lots super crazy in that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you know, there was a screw-up once. You guys know what the Aurora is, right? Yes. The Aurora I, I, I swear I saw a contrail from the Aurora flying to California one day. I have I have seen the Aurora twice. I have seen the Pulse detonation engine. <laughs> no way. Uh, Donut on a replace. Yeah, yeah, twice. Twice. Well, possibly, possibly three. But two I know for sure. And, uh, you know, the reason that we know what the Aurora is called is because some doofus, when they did the Air Force budget, uh, didn't um, didn't uh, you know black box that out. So when the budget came through, all the conspiracy guys go get the budget, and they're all trolling through it, looking for whatever, and they didn't redact the name of the program. <laughs> so it. it said Aurora Aurora program, and then like some god awful amount of money, and everybody goes, "What's that? What's that? What's that?" So, you know, yeah, it went from there, but they didn't redact it. So, you know, they mess up sometimes, but uh, all the, and, you know, Aaron Space Week, they go through it and everybody's like going through the budget trying to find stuff. That, that's been like 10 or 15 years now. Whatever happened with that? Like, why is it sort of quieted down? What, what did the Aurora end up being? Like, you saw it twice and it's not just a black triangle. Isn't it more of like a, just a high tech fighter plane kind of thing? No, it's um, it's more like a chevron. It's like an elongated uh, triangle, 
Um, I think what happened, <coughs> you have to excuse me, I have a bit of a cough tonight. I think what, what happened is that they, they found a better engine. Um, the, the engine then on that the pulse, pulse so the deal, one. Yeah, the pulse detonation engine. So basically the way a pulse detonation engine works is that the, on the back, you've got this kind of wedge shaped plane and on the back of it, it kind of pumps fuel out over the back and then it's ignited somehow. There, there are stories about how it's ignited. Uh, one says it has dual tail fins and the, there's a laser that runs between the tail fins and when the fuel passes over the laser, the laser detonates it and it spurts it out and that's how you get that popping. And if you actually, I actually saw one at dusk and I actually could see the flashing across the sky. You don't really see it as much during the day, but I saw it at dusk. So it's fairly dark. And so I could actually see the, the flashing as the one across the sky. But I, I think that, I think that these black triangles that we're seeing again, I think that's the real deal. And I, I think they've operationalized those. So they the, have a different kind of engine. So the black triangles, some of them are the Aurora. Then they're just a little more elongated no, as opposed I, to, or they're a separate program the altogether. Black, yeah, separate program. Yeah. I think what happened was they found a more efficient, faster engine, and I think that they killed off the Aurora program. Oh wow! They probably still have some and do test. You know, I you know it's like anything, right? The the Air Force or the Canadian Air Force, in guys' case. You know, they'll have a black project, and they'll say, okay, we'll build five of them. So they'll go build five of them, and then they'll fly them around for a while, and then they'll say, well, we don't need them anymore. So, you know, we'll use them for testing, you know, shockwave propagation or something versus actually operationalizing yeah. them. Yeah, they'll still but I, I think these them black triangles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think these black triangles are the real deal. I think they've operationalized those. And they're not TR-3Bs, that's for sure. No? Why, why is that? So is that just a... Is that well, just a drone. A, the tr 3 bs are drones? Yeah. I believe so, yeah. No, these are piloted. There are little people in there. Yeah. Little people? Yeah. Like and, midgets? Well, I mean, they could be like six feet. <laughs> but you know, you know that like the SR-71, they had a... Well, I were, okay, so when I was a kid, right, my family, I come from an Air Force family, and I really wanted to go in, and I wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to fly an A-10 Warthog, and I'm six foot three, Right. And the max height of for an A ten pilot is like six one. Hmm. So they, they definitely have like height height restrictions. Yeah. I didn't fit in the Kevlar bathtub, so I was I wouldn't have been able to fly it. <coughs> so sad. That's too bad. Well, I mean it's the first airplane built around a gun. They took the gun uh, in the nose. And they built the plane around the gun. They're like, we really want that gun. Didn't Let's they put those back in service it. recently? Like that's a, one of the probably the most yeah. utilized uh, utilized aircrafts, right? That's the Warthog, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, no, they yeah. definitely put it back into service. The problem with those things though is that they fired depleted uranium rounds, so you're you know you're toxifying all the ground every time you every time you fire a barrage into something, you know you're you're uh, irradiating the ground. So you focus yeah, no, on uh, you focus on high tech crafts and stuff too. That's part of the thing uh, <clears throat> that you like to to research. Is there anything new in that front that you're that you're looking at? As far as aircraft, yeah. You know, I've been I've been following the triangles. I think the triangles are really fascinating. And you know, it's funny because like I have a I have a Google alert, a Google News alert. 
and what it looks for is mysterious plane or you know or ufo or whatever and then sends me an email once the uh once the trigger trips and you know 99 of all the really good hits i get on that triangular aircraft uh, come out of ufo sightings like everybody thinks it's a damn ufo and it's not i mean it's it's just a fighter well it's not a fighter exactly it's a multi-role aircraft um but it i think what it actually has and i've been i've been watching these things for a while now like the news reports and the um and looking at the photos that people are taking and i'm pretty sure at this point that it's actually utilizing what's called an aerospike engine aerospike i think that's why they aerospike yeah and i think that's why they they replaced the aurora is because the aerospike is like way more efficient and you had a sighting on one of those yourself, right? Uh, I have I have seen the triangular ones, um, but at a distance. Um, not, you know. The truth is, I've seen all kinds of wacky stuff. You know, it's funny. You do like podcasts and interviews and radio shows and whatever, and everybody always wants to know, oh, what have you seen? It's like you know, you guys probably know this that if you chase this stuff, you end up seeing all sorts of kooky things because you put yourself where they are and if you put yourself where the phenomena is then you will experience it right hopefully i mean it's i think it's easier said than done (laughs) you know i don't i disagree with that you know i wanted to one day i wanted to see some weird planes right and you know I'm, i'm a pretty grounded guy so i'm you know i'm i'm very much uh it's piloted by people, not aliens. And that's, you know, for the most some part. of it, sure, but I think yeah. most of it's yeah. people. And um, you know, one day I said to myself, "Well, you know what? I want to go see some some weird planes." And my friends were going to Eseti, uh, the Gilliland Ranch in Southern Washington, and I said, "Well, I want to go." And they're like, "Okay," so I went. And you know, it was about four or five hours of that stuff. I saw all kinds of crazy stuff. But I know, I know from research and, and just from being involved in this, that if you go to ESETI, you see weird stuff. So if you go there, you know, if you want to see it, go there. You'll see it. So here, let me get your, is let that, me get, go ahead. Is that the one in Oregon? Yeah, that's the one that Michael's been to a couple of times. And yeah. It's actually in Washington state. It's, it's right across the border. Well, we'll have to. I think we're going to head down there. Maybe you know, in the next couple of years, we'll have to get down there. Well, let me know. We'll have a barbecue. Fuck yeah! It'll be fun. Hell yeah! But it's, you know, if you if you want to see a ghost, you have to go to a haunted house, right? And, you know, if you want to see experimental aircraft, then you have to go where they fly. And and Trout Lake, where he said he is, is one of those spots. And you know the predominantly the tr- air traffic comes out of the that the mountain? south uh, the s- southeast yeah Mount Adams yeah it comes out of the southeast and it heads north it actually arcs over your head and so you know you're watching it come out of the southeast and and funny enough if you draw a straight line from where Trout Lake is southeast you hit Nellis so you know at least in that proximity so. You know, the idea that these things are coming out of Area 51 and they're flying over. And it makes sense that they turn north there because, you know, it's polar. So they're going over the poles. So. Why over the I've poles? Actually, well, what's on the other side of the poles? Russia. What else? 
So they're just spying on Russia, you think? Or they are I'm Russia. sure. I'm sure they do. Well, you know, it's funny. I had a I had a hell of a time getting it translated. I finally found this guy who could translate it for me, but a friend of mine had clued me into this weird uh, radio transmission that these these guys had picked up in Russia, and they were Russian nationals that had actually picked it up, and it was on a military uh, air band, but it was in the clear. It wasn't encrypted or anything. And it was basically the commu- a communication between a, a MiG-29 pilot and uh, the Air Defense Control Center that he was assigned to. And the guy, I think he was a major, and he was up at cruising altitude, and they said that they had a radar track on something adjacent to him. So they told him to go find it. So he turns the plane around and goes, goes after it. And, you know, to him, it's like a high-speed light because it's so far in the, pat- in the, in the distance. Um, but he, but you know, they were calling it a drone, and there were two of them, and apparently it was running right along the front, and he chased it as long as he could, but he couldn't keep up with it, and then eventually crossed over the border, and he couldn't pursue it. But it was going real high and really fast. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure that they send them over too. We send them over. Everybody sends the drones all around. That's how this works, right? But, you know. Everybody spies on everybody, right? So let me get your take on this. I heard you talking about, uh, you know, like CSETI type stuff, you know, CE5 intentional communications and contact and stuff like that. And, you know, I've, my, my view is very similar to yours that a lot of it is man-made. A lot of it is black budget stuff. And from probably from, I think it's from various uh, organizations and, and uh, programs really like various kind of secret space like kind of oh, yeah. like kind of like that I agree. that iron sky part where you know they they end up all the all the all the nations kind of have their own like secret craft show up in in space or at the same time um, right I love that part <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny what you have one too yeah. what yeah so but but when we go out there and and we do intentionally like we practice these CE5 things up north of calgary here and we do see some crazy shit like we get in a group and we meditate and we put you know our love and intention out there and shit and follow the protocols but i don't i'm not necessarily convinced that it's all alien either like do you do you think that the the black budget stuff the secret space program stuff is advanced enough to know that groups like this are out there and and they can show up as well no i don't think the aircraft knows you're there Or, or I think the, what it is is that the, huh? Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say I think the people that run the aircraft know you're there. And one of the things you have to remember is that originally with the A12 program, which was a predecessor to the SR71, right? It was silver. I think it was like five feet longer and went like twenty percent faster or something. Yeah. Well, when the A12 came out. Um, when it would streak across the sky, I mean, it's a silver object. Uh, a lot of people thought it was UFOs. And there were a lot of sky watches that were organized to go watch these things because they were convinced, you know, our alien brothers were coming to visit. And the KGB actually <laughs> sent people into those groups and infiltrated them to attend the sky watches because they knew they were experimental aircraft. And then the FBI and the CIA put people in the groups to watch the KGB guys. But what the CIA figured out as part of the A-12 program is that it worked exceptionally well for them to tell people, oh, no, that is a UFO. 
So they would actually send people out and go, yeah, yeah, that's a UFO. Uh huh. Uh huh. So I think sometimes, you know, I, I think I don't, I know the CE5 stuff does work. Um, I don't know why, but if it's the human stuff, I don't think that they can detect you. You know, if they're at like a hundred thousand feet, I don't think that they can pinpoint you and go, these guys are, are projecting. I want to see you vibes. So I think it might be more that somebody is monitoring you and knows you're going out there and wants to give you a show so you can report back that it's a UFO, potentially. Not necessarily. You know, no, but it does, it does strike me as a way they could test things out. You know, they could test what, what, Absolutely. Uh, what's reported, what's seen, what's, uh, I mean, I do oh, feel yeah. like that's a little too conspiratorial for me, but I'm not, I'm not putting it out. I'm not, uh, I'm not throwing it out, you know, with, uh, you know, because oh. it could be, because it could be, uh, you know, ETs too. I mean, we've seen low, <laughs> low flying mm-hmm. fucking silent craft and all kinds of crazy shit. Uh, a lot of flash bulbs. A lot oh, of, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you think maybe the C SETI stuff is just. You think maybe that C SETI stuff is just sort of like controlled disclosure in a way, or like they not sort of like fake disclosure where they want. Would that mean they've got to the next level where they can read Graham's mind and they know that he wants to see a UFO, so they send a drone there? (laughs) You know, in the case of ESETI, I think they know that a lot of people go there to see UFOs. I mean, when you're actually there, when one of these objects flies over you, your head, and I mean, they're quite high and they're quite fast, a lot of them. You know, I mean, everybody's screaming beam ship, beam ship and jumping up and down. <laughs> and I, I think they know that, you know, and, and I think they, in some cases, I think they play to it. In other cases, I think that it's just the air corridor, that it's just that's just how you get there. And it, he lucked out and happened on a mess of land that's below where it flies. I mean, you know, you guys live in a big city. You know, when somebody flies in into Calgary or Ottawa or whatever, you know, you're you're flying in on an air corridor that they they have predetermined routes. Uh, he, I think, he just lives under what predetermined route. Now, what I can't explain is I'm sitting there and it's dark and whatever and I watched what looked like a garage door up on the side of a mountain. Now that I can't explain so well, right? And I saw a object that looked like a like the Stargate from Stargate SG one hanging in midair, stuff going in but not going through. Stuff coming out but not going through. I can't explain that. What do you, what do you mean coming out but not going know. through? Okay, well so you've got this you've got this uh, flat thing hanging in midair and there's stuff coming out of it. Oh, okay. But it's hanging in midair. I can see both sides of it, right? Cause I'm, I'm perpendicular to it. So I can see both sides of it. I'm not watching things go through it. I'm just watching stuff come out of it. That was weird. That was it's like a Stargate. Yeah. It looked exactly like a Stargate. And then, you know, I saw Bigfoot. I mean, it's just a weird place. It's just a yeah, I was, gonna, I was gonna say that, like the high strangeness part yeah. of it is, is you know, I mean, the corridor it makes sense to me as well, but there's also the, you know, the sort of portal aspect and the high strangeness oh, yeah. that happens there. So it's we'll, real. We'll talk about the bigfoot. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily want to, you know, just yeah. bug pick you over all your sightings and stuff. But like, the, explain the bigfoot thing as well, if you could. Okay, so Mount Adams is, is pretty pretty damn high, right? And when you're, you know, we were probably, I don't know, 
15 miles away from it. And it's above, I think it's above 10,000 feet high. Um, and we were, we were sitting there at a table. We were sitting there at a table and, um, the, uh, I'm playing Tetris on my phone because, you know, the thing about East SETI is that when you go during the day, it's like super duper boring. You know, there, there's nothing to do. Uh, you just kind of sit there and it's a big field, right? And so I, um, I'm sitting there playing Tetris and my friend is sta- sitting next to me. Uh, it was actually Larry Overman from Ghost Mine. No, uh, he's sitting next to me and he's just staring at the mountain and, and he starts elbowing me in the side. And, and I'm like, what? I'm, leave me alone. I'm playing Tetris. And he's like, no, no, no. You got to see this. I'm like, no, I really don't. I got to, I got to play my Tetris. It's just, I'm doing good. And he goes, no, really, really, you got to see this. I'm like, you know, F off. I'm playing Tetris. And so finally he hit me really hard. And I was like, okay, what? And so I look and there are these two, uh, I don't know, they were the size of ants uh, going up the side of the snowfield. And we watched them for over 45 minutes. And I went and got my friend Chris um, and dragged him over and made him watch it. And we're all sitting there watching it. And um, I just, I watched it, watched these two. They were big enough I could see their gait. I I watched them for 45 or 50 minutes climb up an almost vertical snowfield. And then at the top, they stood there, you know, they were silhouetted against the sky. And then they walked down into the crevasse. And so Chris, um, Chris is an engineer like me, but he's better at math. So he did the geometry to figure out uh, the distance, how far we were, the angle that we saw them, you know, how big, how big they would have been. And I think he figured out that they should have been about 10 feet tall or something like that. And yeah, it was, it was bizarre. It was truly bizarre. So many people have Sasquatch stories from that spot. Where is this? Yeah, oh, this I mean, is in Oregon again? This is that East City still, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see it up close, but I mean, I'm I'm 100 percent, dude. I studied anthropology. I mean, I know what a gigantopithecus is. This is that's exactly what I saw. We're gonna need one of our U.S. listeners to bring a gun to the East. No, Darren, no, 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 no. Yeah, hopefully you can't no, get no, in no. there with a gun. <laughs> it's also too far. It would be, a, you know, you're you're talking about miles and miles away. What I do want to do, though, um, I actually haven't had an idea, and I approached, I approached a guy about doing it. And he he seemed hip to the idea as long as I paid for the gas. Um, is that one of these nights when this stuff is going on and we're down in the ground? Uh, I want to get a guy in a Cessna to do loops around around Mount Adams. See what happens, and I want to send somebody up in a Cessna at night when this stuff actually starts occurring. Because the guy's planes, you know, he can put his plane in Hood River or Portland or whatever, and he can be in that mountain in about 15 minutes. So we can just sit there, and then once we start seeing these portals and crap appearing, call him up, and he'll fly out and just fly in rings around the with somebody with a HD camera, fly rings around the mountain. Yeah, that's a great idea. You thought it was a drone? Yeah. It's too far for a drone. It's too high. You need, you know, you're talking thousands and thousands of feet. You need an actual airplane. 
So I, I think it'd be quite quite illuminating to see what you know what this stuff looks like from the air. That must be fairly cheap to put together, no? Yeah, I don't think it'll be too bad. You know, um, probably a couple hundred bucks in gas. You know, if the guy's still willing to do it. I mean, you, you'd have to do it during the during the spring of the summer when the weather's better because you don't want him to get thermals and stuff up there, get bounced around trying to fly around this, this mountain. This or you don't want to just get... Be very dangerous. What if he gets, like, shot down? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. But, I mean, it's a risk. But did you guys ever see that guy, that lunatic? He was a um, English guy. He was a game show host, and... And he was doing a show about Area 51. He he paid this guy to, in a Cessna 172 to fly him into Area 51. Did you guys ever see I, that? I, I think I did. It was a, a while ago, though, right? 10 years? 10 yeah, years, maybe? Yeah, it was more than 10 years. And so they, they're flying in, and standard procedure is that they sent up a pair of F-16s to go meet you. <laughs> right? And so the, these F-16s, I mean, they can't even slow themselves down enough to to match speed with a Cessna, you know? And so they're flying in circles around the Cessna and the jet wash is like bouncing it all around and the guy's like panicking and screaming in the back of the, of the airplane. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like they're coming, they're gonna shoot us down. <laughs> no, I don't think so, they're just scaring him. <laughs> but so it's, it's a weird place. I wanted to I wanted to bring up uh, give you lots of chance to talk about your your magazine and your podcast and stuff because you guys do uh, okay. like I, I read some some of your articles on <clears throat> on your website I mean it's fascinating stuff like that speak sticking with the UFO thing that publisher and Paris the mysterious body count of ufology and the darker side of conspiracy research like um, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, that, you want to talk a little bit about that? I mean, it's it's pretty mind blowing, and maybe give give some people an idea of the original research that you guys do there. Well, so so uh, yeah, about publishing parish. So what it is is that you know, for a lot of people, when you listen to a podcast or you you know you go listen to a radio show and these guys come on and you know you'll have somebody talking about this research that they did about whatever. And, you know, as a, I'm like everybody else, right? I listen to this stuff too. I'm a Gramerica fan. I wear my shirt. Thanks, buddy. We'll send you a new shirt. There. Yes, Take please. A shot. <laughs> but, you know, they, they, they listen and they hear about people or they hear these stories that people tell you. And you think to yourself, well, that's kind of cool. That sounds awful, you know, awful fun. And boy, oof. But the reality is, is that, you know, some of these guys, they don't come back, that they go out and they do this kind of research and they, they don't come back. And, you know, I, I thought it'd be an interesting article to write, to talk about, you know, what happens with these guys when they don't come back. And there, there are a bunch of very famous cases. Uh, you know, you have like Jim Keith, Jim Keith was a big time uh, conspiracy guy back in the nineties. Um, he was the author of Black Helicopters Over America and, and uh, Biowarfare in America and a whole bunch of stuff. And he actually wrote a book on Alternative 3 as well. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he went to Burning Man. Uh, he fell off a stage, uh, broke his knee, and then he, uh, he went in for orthopedic surgery. You know, this is like lightweight, 
we're just going to, you know, give you a little bit of anesthesia and put your knee back together kind of surgery. And they, and he, uh, they gave him the anesthesia and he didn't wake up. And then not long after that, uh, Ron Bonds, the guy from the Illuminate Press that actually, um, that actually did all of, uh, published all of Keith's stuff, uh, he goes to a, um, he goes to a Mexican restaurant in, in uh, Atlanta with his wife and their friends, and they all chow down, and two of them, I think, ordered the same salad he did, and apparently he got E. coli, and he was dead within 48 hours. And, and, and didn't Keith, uh, um, Keith talked about his potential upcoming death, I think, or something, didn't he? Yeah, Keith. Keith has reported. I, I should ask his his daughters about this, but Keith is is reported to have told his friends. Um, I know uh, one guy did tell me this that he actually heard this from Keith. That he said, "If they put me under, I'm not coming out." And he didn't. You know, and Ron Bonds. I mean, he died. And uh, I mean, it's just Danny Casolaro, the guy who who figured out the octopus. You know, he. <clears throat> He, um, you know, he was found dead in his uh, in a motel room. There was Dude, another guy just kept found dead, dead with like multiple blood force trauma things. That vaccine, dude. There was Man, a guy. His name. Uh, yeah, I just watched a thing about him. There's a guy that he he supposedly committed suicide by shooting himself in the back of the head twice. Yeah. It's it's in the article. There's another guy. He was a UFO researcher. I had never heard of him, but he did a presentation and um, he walked up to the podium and he puts this this uh, diet coke on the podium and he says, you know, excuse me before I start. He drinks some of the diet coke. He had opened it. He drinks some of the diet coke. They drop the lights to do his slide deck and then there's no sound and they, somebody hears this thud and they turn the lights on and he's convulsing and there's like there's this white powder all over his mouth and and you know he's he's choking it up so i mean these things do happen we just we don't hear a lot about it anymore but i thought it'd be a very interesting thing to actually say no you know some people you know I think every researcher eventually gets threatened in some way um, or warned, um, but some of them, you know, they don't. Yeah, they don't come back. You think it's just they're stumbling? I it was an interesting article. You think they're just stumbling on a on a you know on a on a thread that's just too serious to overlook? I mean, because you're you know you're researching all this stuff. You've been interested in following this stuff since you're like eight years old. So, what you know? Do you ever worry right. about that? Are you, do you try and keep yourself safe on June twenty fourth? Because like, isn't that the crazy thing that? I, you know, um, a wise man once gave me a piece of advice. <laughs> Um, he said that if you want to, if you want to do this kind of stuff and stay safe, right? That it's it's all about where you get your info from and how you how you analyze the info. So I I get my info from that uh, source, that method. Basically, I use the method that it was suggested to me, and I haven't had any any problems since. You know. But it's it's all about the method. And how many of these guys? Um, but, how many of these guys like passed on June twenty fourth? I mean, that's fucking crazy. Well, sure. And and there's another funny thing. Um, I actually realized this when I was looking into um, 
Oh, the guy, the guy who was part of Ultra that, that died. Um, Frank Olson. You know, there, there's a manual that the CIA has on, on assassinations. And one of the things in the, in the manual, it was, I forget who wrote it, but the guy was like a magician or something. And it, it's a whole assassination manual. And one of the things, one of the things that they said in the manual is that you have to, if you're gonna, if you're gonna kill somebody, you know, you have to hit them in the head in a certain spot, and then you have to, then you have to throw them out of a, out of a building that's higher than X numbers of stories high. Right? It's, I forget. It's like eleven. The building has to be greater than eleven stories high for it right? to be almost a guaranteed so, death. Yeah. Yeah, you have to make sure that he's gonna crack his head open when he hits the, hits the pavement. And so one day I went and looked at a couple of these, you know, where it's these weird uh, suicides. And it's like, oh, and they actually there's a documentary called Wormwood that's pretty good. that talks about Frank Olson and they did it in there, too. And, and it was kind of interesting. It's like, OK, well, why don't we go look at weird, weird uh, suicides where people jump out of buildings that are higher than 11 stories and we're hitting a hit like hitting the left side of the head. Say, oh, there's a couple, you know, and you can start to see the patterns of how these things work, right? But, you know, again, if you don't want to be one of those people that jumps out of an 11 story building, apparently, you know, there are ways that you can research things that keep you safe. And, and I, you know, I don't really want to leave this moral coil. So, again, you know, I have a method that I use. Huh. You should Is that talk. just not pointing the finger too specifically? Um, yeah, it's it's the source of the information, right? Uh, you know, where you get the info from. And it's also, yeah, knowing when to not really hang that finger pointing on, you know, when to say, okay, this is something you got to let go. And, and it's very hard. You know, there there are certain things that I find very fascinating, but if you push too hard in certain things, bad things happen. And so, you know, I won't go down those, I won't go down that road. You know, there there are subjects that I'm extremely fascinated by, but it wouldn't be good for my longevity to research them. Would you be willing to give examples of the subjects without going much further than that? Can you make me a list? <laughs> make, make us a list. <laughs> <laughs> Can you give me a list? I want to go find some people to have them on. <clears throat> you know, it's hard. Um, it's hard to say. It, you know, it, there are just certain things that you don't really want to discuss. You know, Kevin, um, Pete's, Kevin Pizza Gates like Spacey. Like what? What about that? Spacey I was just, delivering pizza. Yeah, Kevin Spacey delivering pizza to reporters <laughs> when he's about to get arraigned for sexual assault. I love that. Yeah. Humor. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think a lot of it really comes down to, again, you know, picking your battles and and saying, okay, well, I want to, I want to do this. So how do I, you know, it's incumbent upon me to keep myself safe. So I, I want to research this subject and, you know, you just have to draw borders around and go, well, you know, what's served by me 
going too far down that road. You know, there, there are people that, that will go all the way at all costs, and, and that's who that article is written about. Then there are people that are like, I want to shine a light on this, but I don't need to go down all the way down the rabbit hole. Right. Yeah, but shining a light on that, like there's an occult aspect to this too. I mean, the September twenty or the June twenty fourth thing is unbelievable. I mean, you list all the people that that are into this that have died on June twenty fourth, and it's you know, it's like right. way way beyond coincidence. I mean, and what did you say? No, I think no, it's true. And June twenty fourth was significant because I'm trying to find it again. Oh, I can't remember. There was a religious. Oh, John the Baptist. It was uh, it was the feast day for John, John the, Baptist. the Baptist. John the Baptist, right? Yeah. So well, and yeah. And, you, and you also look at nine eleven, right? September eleventh, right? That you know, obviously, I'm I'm in the U.S. We had a really bad thing happen that day, and and I think everybody who was around when that happened, you know, we all remember it. It was our Pearl Harbor in some ways. Um, but the reality is, is that a whole lot of things happen on September 11th. You know, they, the Pentagon opened on September 11th. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. I've never figured out exactly why, you know, these dates, why they care so much, if they really believe this stuff or if they're just trying to mask it by using it or what the motivation is behind you know, like June the 12th or 9-11 or whatever. But it, it is, seems it to is. be something on that 9-11 one because the Matrix is full of fucking symbology and 9-11's in there too and I think that's more to do with oh, yeah. uh, with 9-11 the day than it is you know people get all excited and say it's fucking proof that people knew 9-11 was going to happen I no. think it's more about that number is important okay. yeah the number the date is important the date itself yeah and and it's you know you can see it i mean there's there are these groupings of things that always happen around specific dates and and i've never i've never come i mean i know the occult reason why right why but for the power why because of the power what why why do you think it is what's the reason then so well so in occultism right that if, if you do something that's aligned to like a specific occult uh power day Right, then you're magnifying the you're magnifying the the power of what you do. So, for example, if you if there, I'm driving, so I don't have it in front of me. But let's say that you you pick Walpurgis, right? And you want to do you know, and you align something that that could be seen as a blood sacrifice, and on a mass scale, like you're gonna you're gonna do something, and all you're gonna start a war. Right, and a lot of people are going to die, so you you align it to you know Walpurgis because it's a it's a sacrificial night, right? So you start the war on that day because the deaths of the people in the war amplify the power of whatever it is you're trying to actually do, and you know at times Walpurgis, yeah, right. So that's you know you're you're magnifying. The, the the power of whatever you're doing aligned to the date. That's why things are done on specific dates, right? So let's say that you want to do a fertility thing, right? You know, maybe you're uh, you want to engineer so that you want to you want to do some sort of occult thing, and it has to do with fertility, right? So you want to engineer a whole lot of people, right? Are going to have babies on like May first. Right, because it's May Day and the May Queen, and 
you know, the, the slain of the, of the green man. So, you know, you want to do all that stuff on May 1st because it's a fertility thing. And every baby that comes out on May 1st amplifies what you're trying to do. So that's why. Hmm. But Talk. it definitely does align. Darren, were you going to say something about that? So talk about the Fort McMurray fire then, because that was all about that. Did you, have you looked at that at all, Olaf? No, no. Yeah, it started on, um, uh, oh, now I forget exactly the dates, but No, but it was, a it was that uh, celebration on in spring, right? Wasn't it? Yeah. The, the yeah, festival. Yeah, it uh, yeah. started on May 1st in the subdivision. Um Huh. This is really interesting. It's it's the uh, the the pagan holiday, right? Yeah, and it started just after midnight on May first, and it okay. took out the whole town. And it started on this in this subdivision called, uh, you know, it's it's like bonfire. What is it called? I can't um, remember. It was it was weird. It's definitely got. I think exactly what you were just saying there. Yeah, exactly. that they cool. they did this big they did this big fire thing. It could have been just some kids in the woods, but they kept who did it and what happened really quiet. And it well, got I'll kind of creepy you, there a little bit. So you should well, look at I'll, it. I'll give you I'll give you another one. Um, the I've never I have not written about it, um, and I'll and I'll probably screw the dates up at the moment. But um, you know there was a, a massive fire. Um, in California that occurred, right? So so there was the Las Vegas shooting where the guy was up in the up in the hotel and he was picking people off. And then after that there was like a fire and then it was Halloween. <coughs> I think that's how it went. And it's like if you look at the alignment of when when things actually happen, that the the day that like the fire started the day that the it was actually about Walpurgis, I think. But the the day the guy opened fire in Vegas, that period of time is used as a blood sacrifice time, leading into like I want to say I want to say it's Walpurgis, but I could be wrong. Um, and then it the fire is the time after the sacrifice time when you're cleansing right you're sanitizing and then you go into the big holiday there's actually an alignment of there was a fire then there was the shooting and then there was like then there was another fire and then there's i think it was a uh, Sawan happened at the end of it and if you look at the pattern of how that happened they were in different places right but the times all matched and the and the purposes all matched yeah. you know because you don't necessarily have to do everything in the same place. You know, you can do it in different places if the intention is still the same. Yeah. So it's, this it's very it's very weird. So, so Mike, this Michael, this is uh, Michael. This is uh, the fire was on Beltane, right? I think you said, and it was yeah. known. Yeah. It was known as That's the it. Beast, and it was in uh, it was in Horse River. Does that make sense, Michael? You remember that? Uh, yeah, there was a subdivision that it actually started right behind in the woods, and it was. The name of the subdivision was. Uh, so it wasn't. It wasn't Horse River then. No, it wasn't Horse River. It was a word that kind of means like bonfires. Um, 
It's not that important. I wish I, I wish I just knew. No, it, but, but it is interesting when you put well, all that, put all that stuff together. It doesn't seem. Well, send, send me a. You guys not to get old, and you send me a, a link to it. I'll go take a look at it. Yeah, yeah, for but sure. It, again, you know, just just like the deaths of the UFO researchers, you know, these things happen in patterns, and it, it's very interesting to see the patterns, right? You know, there, there's a method to it. It's not, it's not random. Did you ever look into any of this other California fire stuff and the and the Beacon directed Hill, energy good. weapons and? It's called Beacon Hill. Oh, Beacon Hill, right? Oh, there you go. Neighborhoods Beacon behind Hill. Beacon okay. Hill, and for Beltane, that's what they would do: is they would burn the fires on the Beacon Hills. <laughs> that's yeah. where they would celebrate it back in the day. They would start those fires. Ooh, there's a Beacon Hill in Calgary. Yeah. Don't move there. There's a Beacon Hill everywhere. Every town has Beacon <laughs> Just Hills. Just in case they have to burn this motherfucker down. They... <laughs> Good to know. But but again, you know, you you start. It's it's funny because. You know, then you, you start to see it everywhere, which is kind of kind of weird when it first happens to you. Um, I remember I was watching a, a Katy Perry video. I actually wrote an article about this. But I was watching this Katy Perry video, right? And it's the witchcraft one. And people asked her, they said, oh, <clears throat> where'd you get the idea from this? And she's like, oh, I got the idea from the craft, right? And so she's got this whole video and, you know, of course, Vigilant Citizen and everybody else. Oh, look, it's the Eye of Horus. It's the Eye of Horus. Illuminati, Illuminati, right? But they missed the entire subtext of the whole goddamn video. The whole video is basically the Green Man and the May Queen. She's she's the May Queen and she has, you know, her feline uh, people protecting her and the blue men are, you know, are are there and the and the uh, the green man is there, you know, and she slays the green man and, and I mean it's all there. The, the whole May Queen story is there. But it doesn't stop there. So then you go look at the album cover for the single, right? And it's her like walking through a field of wheat in a diaphanous dress. Okay. Well, wheat is a fertility symbol, right? And the, and the diaphanous, diaphanousness of the dress will also play a role in that kind of thing. You know, I mean, the whole, the whole package is there. And, it, you know, people, I think it's a problem we have in conspiracy theory is it like you see one thing and you stop. And it's like, you know, I think the whole Aya Horus thing was a put on because, you know, it's set in Egypt. They're, they're taking the May Queen out of its typical, you know, Celtic environment and putting it in Egypt. But all, this, all the rest of it's there. Yeah, that's interesting. But we stopped short because we saw the Eye of Horus. The minute you see the Eye of Horus, well, everything's Illuminati then. It's like, no. It's not. This is different. Yeah. So, so if people are doing the fires on Beltane and the blood sacrifices in October, how do you push back against that with positivity? Or is there, are people doing that already? How do I push back against that? With or how positivity? does anyone like? Is there a, is there any is there anyone out there doing positive fucking crazy rituals? I don't know. I don't know. Are they all? I, I have noticed. Well, but that's the thing. That's the one thing that I think people don't always get about like the occult is that you know there there are practitioners of the occult that are good, white witches. There are ones that are bad, black witches, right? 
But the occult by itself, just as its own entity, is neither good nor evil, right? It, it's, it's neutral. And the thing about the occult is that, and I'm not an occultist, by the way, but the thing about the occult is that if you're going to do something, it's about paying a price, right? So let's say that, that, that I don't like you guys. I love you guys, but let's say for a minute, I don't like you guys and I want to put a hex on you, right? By me putting a hex on you, I have to be willing to take that, that, the damage of that hex times three, right? That's the price I pay. For, for doing it to you. So something's going to come back on me three times. Now, it can be good three times, it can be bad three times, but it's going to come back on you three times. Right? So, you know, uh, it's capacity so for good or... There's always a price to pay. But why would you do that? Exactly. Exactly. And the price really... you pay is relative to your own desires of what you want it to be. That you know, you can have a positive bonfire on Beltane, right? Or you can have a negative bonfire maybe, on Beltane. Yeah, maybe it's it really was a positive one and just got out of control. <laughs> who knows? I, I it doesn't sound like it, but who knows, right? <laughs> <laughs> but so, you asked what we do at Paranoia, and this is this is the kind of thing we do that, you know, <clears throat> uh, my editor in chief is Ron Patton. Uh, you know, he, he has an obsession with mind control. Um, he's an, a mind control expert. I'm hoping to get him to publish his book soon about mind control. Um, but, you know, we, he, he does a lot of mind control stuff. You know, I, I, I don't know. I kind of flitter all over the place, I guess, at this point. But, um, you know, we get out there. Uh, we try to research things and, and see what's going on and then uh, work with other researchers to publish their their findings and their info um, you know so that people can find out and one of the things we're huge about is uh, you know people who read the magazine or follow us on Facebook or Instagram or whatever you know we're always real big about empowering them um, you know saying hey look I'm nobody special I, the the things that make me a good or bad researcher you know are intrinsic to you too I'm not you know there's no special secret sauce here so you know we try to empower people to do their own research and you know and, and I've been quite happy that, that we've had a bunch of people that are now going on radio shows and, and writing books and you know because it was like hey go do it you know we're big fans go do it so we try to keep things positive. Do you do you protect yourself from potential hexes at all? I do. Of course. Who doesn't? We should start protecting ourselves from fucking hexes. How do you protect yourself? How do I do it? I feel like the studio's got a fucking hex on it right now. <laughs> My protection didn't well, work then, um, I guess. <laughs> well, obviously I'm Scandinavian, right? Um, so I have uh, a Scandinavian, well, I have a Viking um, blessing that hangs over my door uh, that protects everybody who goes in and goes out through my front door. Um, I carry in my on my person, uh, you know, an a, a, a Viking symbol of protection. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's actually dual-sided. On one side, it has a... It has the the helm of awe, which is a an Icelandic symbol, Icelandic Viking symbol for um, protection, 
And then on the other side, it has a thing called the Viking compass. The Viking compass, um, if I get lost, it's supposed to guide me home. So I pretty much carry it on my person all the time. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Once we move into the new studio, Darren, we'll, we'll go through some stuff. Well, I'll tell you what. When you guys move in the new studio, uh, let me know and I'll, I'll make you some. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, you got it. I'll make Excellent. a nice one. I'll burn I'm also married to the White Witch, so she could help me out. <clears throat> but my my stuff is Viking because I'm you know my ancestors are Viking, so I figure go back to the source. I have some but, you know, it, That's what I was told recently yeah, well, too. There you go. That it helps to go back to the source. Oh, you got some Norwegian in you too, Dan? Yeah. yeah. We could, we could mix it up. I got mainly like Scottish, English, Celtic kind of thing. We'll do a little bit of that, a little bit of Native American, a little bit of Norwegian. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm Norwegian and Swedish. And with some Scottish. But, you know, I mean, like I said, that's that's what we get into in Paranoia. And, you know, originally the magazine was very, very uh, centered about around um, conspiracy stuff. And, you know, in recent years, uh, after Long's deliberations with Ron, you know, we've tried to open it up a little more than that and say, okay, well, you know, let's let's just talk about things that we're paranoid about in general, right? The, the magazine is about paranoia. It's not about just conspiracy paranoia. It's also about paranormal paranoia and, you know, and UFO paranoia and cryptozoology paranoia. So let's just talk about paranoia in general. And I think that's opened up the magazine, made it more interesting. Yeah. Do you have any other articles or uh, <clears throat> things in there you think that people would want to want to hear about? I mean, I've I've read quite a few in there. Very, uh, definitely very interesting. Well, um, one of the I just wrote an article myself on um, on Nibiru, um, that I think is very interesting. Uh, you know, Nibiru is this, according to Zachariah Sitchin, is this this uh, planet with an erratic, exotic orbit that that floats around, and and uh, the Anunnaki came from it and then enslaved humanity to mine gold, right? Yep. Well, it turns out that if you read the actual Sumerian translations, uh, not done by Zachariah Sitchin, but done by people who are, who actually translate Sumerian, uh, the, tr- the truth apparently is, is much more strange than that. Um, that it turns out that the word Nibiru itself uh, represents a gateway or a ferry. And they, the, uh, the Sumerians actually believed that, that Nibiru was a gateway or was a ferry point um, to get to the upper celestial realms where Anu lived. And Anu was their lead god. He was a sky god. And so what I did is I started to dismantle uh, the whole Nibiru thing and to base it on actual Sumerian translations done by, by um, you know, uh, guys at Oxford or, you know, more primary sources. And it turns out to be quite odd. Very weird. Even I wonder how much AI will help out with that kind of shit. You know, a lot. 
AI is scary though, but it it um it can really help a lot with that kind of stuff. Um, did you? There's a funny thing. It, it's more cons, it's more conspiratorial than anything else. Um, there's a guy who, named Adam Curtis who makes these documentaries. I love him to death, right? And he made a documentary called The Century of Self, and it's about like our self, our own perceptions of ourselves, and like the kind of industrial complex that's built up around our our perceptions of self and things like that. And one of the things that he talked about is that at the dawn of the computer age, right back in like the fifties, uh, when they were using punch cards. <laughs> that all these psychoanalysts and psychotherapists thought, oh my God, this is going to be fantastic for psychotherapy. We can we can program the punch card with crazy people's information, plug it in the computer, the computer will tell us what's wrong with them, right? So they did it. And it actually turns out that the computer nailed it. If the guy, if the individual was paranoid, they would come back saying that they're paranoid or they're schizophrenic or you know, the borderline personality or whatever, the, the computer nailed it one after another after another, okay? So all the researchers are like, well, this is fantastic. This is great. This is a new day for science, right? And then they said, oh, crap, we didn't do a control. Because, you know, in scientific theory, right, you have to have a control group where you know the output, you know, you know exactly what the answer should be. So they did themselves because they knew what they were suffering from, their anxieties or neuroses or whatever. So they programmed their own personalities into punch cards and fed it into the computer. You know what the computer said? Schizophrenic as fuck. Normal. Schizophrenic. Narcissistic. personality. Narcissistic. Yeah. Paranoid. Yeah. Well, we're all that. So you have to add, Yes. So you have to ask yourself the day an AI truly activates, what is it going to think about us? The truth. That's why it's so dangerous. It's just going to lock us up in rooms and make us work out our shit. No, it's going to put us in little capsules and turn us into batteries. (laughs) We're all going to be like Energizer batteries. That's Matrix. Wow. What does it need? It needs our creativity. Needs so, us to feed it, yeah. So if we just sit in front of a camera and a microphone for Dance. 20 hours a day doing whatever Dance. you want, that's what it's looking for. That's Dance. What Dance, true foe. Dance. <laughs> we have a question from the chats here, Olaf. Have you come to okay. any new conclusions regarding missing people, national parks, alternative three, and underground bases? <laughs> oh, somebody's read my stuff. All right. So... Alternative three, right? One of the things that they talk about, okay, so there, here's a primer on alternative three, otherwise this won't make any sense. So back in the 50s, uh, okay, so there's this TV show, it's called, it's called Alternative Three, it was on in England and East Anglia television in 1977. And it purported to disclose the a program to protect some percentage of humanity in the event of a catastrophic ecological collapse. Okay? And so it goes through the steps. So they have a meeting in the 50s. They determine that we're screwed. So the first step was that they were going to blow a hole in the atmosphere, vent the carbon dioxide into space. The second, that failed. The second alternative was to build bunkers. You can't build enough of them fast enough. So the third alternative was 
to leave and go to Mars by way of the moon. Okay? So one of in this idea of populating the moon and populating Mars, one of the things that they had to account for are technicians and janitors and cooks and cleaners and all those people that you know that kind of run the substructure of society. You mean all those people that are heading okay. to Antarctica right now? I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> so I can cook. So I'm a good cook. <laughs> and I can podcast. There you go. And I can come up with gibberish. So you need this sub-layer of society, right? Mechanics, electricians, plumbers, you know, all these kinds of things. Now, a certain percentage of those people that are more trade-oriented, your electricians, your plumbers, your computer technicians, things like that, you can hire them. There are people that would be perfectly willing to go to Mars to reboot Windows, you know? <laughs> but, but for some of the others, you, you know, they, they felt that it was too difficult to kind of farm that out, even though I think people would volunteer, but it's too difficult to farm that out. So what they had is a concept of something called a batch consignment. And a batch consignment is basically where they go abduct a bunch of people and they take them against their will and they use them as slave labor uh. in, in factories or whatever. So a curious that thing happened to me one day. I was doing the research on Alternative 3 to write the book, and I thought to myself, you know, everything else in here, I can align it to something. Because my premise was that if Alternative, I, I had read all the arguments. I had read Keith's book, and I had read Alternative 3, watched it. I had, Vladimir Tarzitsky had, had done some stuff on Alternative 3. And I, I, I looked at all this stuff and I said, okay, well, if it's real, then it has to be aligned 100%. And so far, everything that I had looked for, I had found. It took digging, but I found it, okay? So I said, well, the batch consignment thing must be real, right? So <clears throat> I went and I had a, I had a brain fart. I think I was in the shower. I always have these like weird ideas when I'm in the shower. Right? It's the relaxation response. Said, it's the same thing too. I think so. And and I thought to myself, oh my god, I got it. David Polites has written how many <laughs> missing persons four one or nine one one books or whatever. Missing four one one, yeah. I don't know. Missing four one one, yeah. <laughs> well, he's written a bunch of them, and he. And so I was looking at his website, and I went to his website to find out how many books there were. And one of the things that he had was a map. And the map, he had taken, like, pins or something. I'm, I think it was pins. And he had put pins around these concentrations of disappearances inside these national parks, right? And I'm looking at the map, and I'm thinking, you know... That seems familiar to me, the, like the distribution of it. I'm like, that's odd. It looks familiar. And I said, oh, I know where I've seen this before. <clears throat> there was a map made by a guy named Tall in like 1991. And Tall's map shows the Western states. And then it shows all these like secret saucer bases and underground cities and tunnels and railroads and all this other stuff. And it, it's on a map. 
And so what I did is I overlaid the uh, Politi's map on top of Tall's map, and I had to stretch Tall's map because the only I couldn't find an original that was big enough. So I kind of stretched it, but then I anchored the points so that like the states fit, and it it matched up. So a lot of these places were there were concentrations of disappearances especially in the national parks, like Yosemite, for example, there, you know, Tall had said that there's an underground, he called them saucer bases, but they could be what, just a base of whatever. Well, the position pretty much matched, which I thought was shocking. <laughs> Interesting. So, you know, that's the I capture think- points for batch confinements. Yeah. Some people have actually gone on record saying that they're taking slave labor to Mars. Has who um, gone on the record? Someone's in the chats. Freethinker posted that Robert David Steele and Fritz Springmeier have gone on record stating that they're taking slave labor to Mars. So I actually copy-pasted Robert David and Steele and Fritz Springmeier or whatever into the... Uh, the Googles, and it pulled up a CIA.gov document called Bloodlines of the Illuminati by Fritz Springmeier in 1995. Yeah, Fritz Fritz is is an interesting dude. I'll just leave it at that. But... This is one of those things you should not dig into, yeah. (laughs) Fritz and Ron but but it's interesting and actually i was listening to coast to coast i think one and uh Paulides was on and somebody asked him about it <clears throat> and, and to my knowledge i'm the only person that ever matched it up but somebody had somebody actually asked him about the match and he he would not he would not uh comment on it he's all well that sounds interesting let's move on you know which i thought was interesting <laughs> No, I mean, it's, yeah, there's got to be something there. I mean, it's, I wonder what what Sasquatch sightings, if it overlays on there as well. Well, maybe Sasquatch eat people. Yeah, yeah, they're disguised. uh, The batch consignment uh, kidnapper is dressed as Sasquatch. You know, honestly, with the whole whole last thing, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, I really wouldn't. <laughs> so who's them then? Is it like the government? Is it the military-industrial complex? Is it Trump? Trump? Is it ex-Nazis from Argentina? There's a long list of suspects. Communists. Communists. Chinese. Secret space program. You know that's that's a hard that's a hard question to answer. Um, I think. My own belief, you know, when I wrote the book, I was it wasn't really about saying, okay, this is who did it. Yeah. You know, it's more like this is what's going on because I don't think it's clear who does it. And it's like, in order to have something like that happen, right? To have an organized operation of that magnitude, you know, the, the easy answer is everybody. That it's a multinational. Thing, that it can't it can't just be the US or Russia or China you know or Argentina or Brazil or Uruguay or Germany 
it has to be everybody. They all have to be complicit on it in some level, right? Because the amount of research, you know, technological research that would need to be done, you know, just the sheer scale of it. Well, you take chemtrails, for example, right? So chemtrails are, everybody goes, oh, these contrails, yeah, that's weird, how they dissipate and whatever. Well, the reality is, is that, oh, and, and they always say, okay, well, there's a chemtrail fleet. There's a fleet of Air Force aircraft that are dumping this stuff. And it's like, okay, that's great. Here's the problem. If it's the U.S. Air Force, they're not dumping stuff over Canada. So now you're talking about the Canadian Air Force has to be complicit in it as well. And they're not dumping it over Japan. So now the Japanese Defense Force has to be complicit in it, right? And in Russia, the Russian Air Force has to be complicit in it, and the Chinese and the Germans and everybody else. Now you're talking about too much. We don't have enough airplanes to do that kind of thing, okay? But chemtrails are apparently very real. And I actually, I call it alternative uh, 1.5. So back in the 80s, almost it was the 80s, Dr. Edward Keller, the father of the hydrogen bomb, wrote an article, an op-ed piece, I think it was in the New York Times, called Sunscreen, Sunscreen for the Planet Earth. And what he, had, what he had said was that with the amount of solar radiation that was coming into the Earth because of the, the ozone layer and a lot of other problems that we have, that it was, in the, you know, the idea that we were in a greenhouse scenario and the Earth is heating, one of the ways that you could stop the Earth from heating, right, would be to dump particulate matter at high altitude and to change the reflectivity of the Earth to change the albedo so that more solar radiation is reflected into space than hits the earth. And so he said that we should have a multinational fleet of aircraft that fly around and dump this stuff in the upper atmosphere. Sound familiar? But here's the problem. Here's the problem. There is no chemtrail fleet. It, it doesn't make any kind of logistical or rational sense to have a fleet of aircraft do this. So what I would argue to you, and what you can find the patents for if you look, is shunts inside of jet engines, the turbine engines that, that they use for commercial aircraft, that allow them to funnel stuff out of those, out of the, through the engine exhaust from a different, you know, from a different source. And what I suspect is happening is that they're, they're putting additives in the fuel and those additives are being separated out at ignition time inside the engine and are being populated inside the contrails. Which you've seen p- patents so, for, right? Right. You can find patents for this. From, you know, from Westinghouse or from uh, Rolls-Royce, the guys who make the engines. And at that point, what you have is every commercial airliner is now part of your chemtrail fleet. And the pilots have no idea what's going on. The engineers who are, the mechanics who are working on the engines don't know what's going on. You know, somebody somewhere knows what's going on, but everybody maintaining these aircraft, they probably have no idea. But it works. And I can prove to you that it's happening in two ways. One is that there's something called global dimming. Have you guys ever heard of global dimming? Yep. Okay. Well, you know, it's, it's measurable. And the greatest example was that 
the day after 9-11 on 9-12, when they had grounded all the aircraft inside the United States, there were no planes flying. I mean, it's probably the only time in my entire life I've never seen a plane in the sky. The only planes I saw were fighters, right, that were going in over San Francisco. <clears throat> Nothing in the sky. A whole bunch of atmospheric scientists said, Except for the oh my God. Yeah, except for the... Yeah, there's and, that one and, plane uh, taking them glass. back, yeah. yeah. And looking glass. Which is the doomsday plane. Now, these guys were like, oh my goodness, this is the best day ever because we can go float balloons and see what's actually going on in the atmosphere without any aircraft. And what they found was that the ambient temperature of the Earth started to rise almost, almost immediately after all the planes were grounded. And the amount of light that was reaching the surface of the Earth increased dramatically. So the Earth became brighter. And the theory was is that the contrails are blocking sunlight, so it's making the Earth darker. So for all your listeners, when they go outside and they think to themselves, you know, when I was a kid, it seemed a whole hell of a lot brighter. It was. <laughs> it actually was brighter. So you think that oh. triggered more chemtrail spraying or just a different level of, uh, of spraying then? Or, or, or was, it, was it going on before that, do you think? Oh, it was going on way before that. It actually started in the '60s. But then they realized that no, yeah. I mean, I realize there's. I mean, there's a bunch of we've you know a bunch of weather modification, a bunch of stuff going on before. But but do you think that they ramped up the program, noticing that that the difference after 9/11? No, I think they kept it at a steady state. I think they have to over time increase the volume because the the problem becomes greater over time because we're not. You know, we're not doing much to curb, you know, over-industrialization. And, you know, in the West, as much as, you know, we drive electric cars and put solar panels on our roof, you know, in China and other places in, in the third world, you know, they're, they're just belching carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And so we're trying to offset that, but it's like, okay, you know. But, <clears throat> so I think they raise it over time. And you can actually see... You can actually see the temperature of the Earth drop in the 60s. I actually put in the book, there's a, there's a diagram. It shows the temperature of the Earth drop. And what you can see is that there are spikes, but those spikes are around when there's like volcanic activity and other things that happen. And, and so then there are spikes, but, but it's pretty much stayed low and it climbs ever so slightly. The other thing that's increased dramatically right is is uh, neurological problems like alzheimer's and alzheimer's apparently is caused by aluminum in the brain and if you're dumping you know things if you're dumping tiny speckles of aluminum in the upper atmosphere people are inhaling that and it's getting into their brains and so you see a rise in these kind of neurologic problems that are related to having metal and heavy metal in your brain Break dust and vaccines is a real prick for that too. Sure. Really get but, you. but yeah, so that's that's uh that's alternative one point five, the chemtrail thing, and batch consignments. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. So three is three is more about that escape to uh off off world kind of thing is alternative three. Yeah, the, the third alternative is, is the leap. 
And I have my own theories about, you know, how certain groups tie into leaving and, you know, what all is going to happen. Because one of the things that I figured out later that I didn't put in the book was the notion of the, the Chinese ghost cities. But if you, there are these cities that the Chinese have built where nobody can, they're not really occupied and nobody can really figure out why the Chinese built them. They're just there. And, and I, I started to think about that in relation to Alternative 3. And if, if you look at the positions of these ghost cities, that, you know, if you assume that there's some level of sea level rise, some of the ghost cities in China would be beachfront. But if you assume that, that we're going to eventually go into some sort of an ice age, which it, apparently we are, that some of those ghost cities are just below the ice line out by Mongolia. And the Chinese are, are well known for being long-term thinkers. That They they do they play the long game. So they're, they, you know, Chinese philosophy is not an immediate return like it is in the West. Yeah. In China, you know, they think multi-generationally. So they're looking 100 years or 200 years or 500 years in advance. And they're saying, okay, well, if there's an ice age, we'll have a city to put people in yeah. that's below the ice line. Yeah. And if the sea levels rise, well, we'll have cities to put people who are, you know, who are dislocated from being in like Hong Kong or, you know, Shanghai or these places are along the coast. Because a lot of those huge cities in China are coastal or they're along rivers. So, you know, they can move people out. Now they're just gearing up to move all the farmers and villagers into the city again like they did back in the early 1900s. So that went real well. Yeah. Cultural revolution. They're building a bunch of uh, hotels in Calgary, too. I wonder if that's got something to do with it. Something tells me we're underneath the ice line, though. Probably. I don't think so. It's easy to find out. They publish all that stuff. You know, one of the things I always tell people when I do an interview is I, I tell, tell them, don't believe me. Don't believe a word I say. I got it all wrong. Go look it up. <laughs> Come to your own conclusion. The big thing that I do is, you know, you were asking about my research methods. One of the big things that I do is I use Occam's razor. That whenever I look at a UFO sighting or I look at whatever, a conspiracy or anything else, I employ what's called Occam's Razor. And Occam's Razor is very simple. It was, it was created by a guy named William of Occam. It says the simplest answer is probably the right one. Yeah, but I find that subjective because, I mean, my simple answer is always different than Darren's simple answer. I mean, <laughs> well, everything, <laughs> everything's subjective. <laughs> yeah, so getting back to, like, who... Do you ever think that is it? that the intention behind this alternative three is really it's good it's just it has to happen at a multinational level and it has to protect the people and to protect the earth and the population and and humans in general it has to be done in secret like is there a chance that you think yeah. that this could be completely you know with heartful intention that it's just to save us really yeah i you know one of one of the big things that i always say in, in interviews and stuff is I, I remind people that, you know, some secrets should be kept just because I'm a conspiracy guy. doesn't mean that I think that everything should be exposed. To, you know, there, there are, are issues of national defense and national interest 
that, you know, as an American, I, I don't think should be, you know, sent out to the world. Or as Canadians, you wouldn't think that should be sent out to the world about Canada. There are certain things that should be kept secret. And, and I think that something of this magnitude, you would have to, to make it work. Because if you didn't, you know, people might start to panic. And yeah, people and, and they wouldn't, wouldn't understand. And they won't buy into like, oh, we're going to invest in uh, saving the world 100 years from now. And we're going to kidnap right. a bunch of people to create a separate civilization of worker bees. You know, I mean, people wouldn't buy into that. Right. But I mean, maybe that's what's yeah, necessary. I mean, I wouldn't buy into that. Nor that, should they. The slave labor part. I definitely don't buy into the slave labor part. Just going to kidnap the, the other problem, people. Yeah, that's wrong. But the, the other the other thing you have to remember, right, is that this, your biggest problem of all is who picks who goes. Yeah. You know, if you really want to talk about money. something subjective, yeah. who picks who goes? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Do I get I to go? I can answer that Probably easily. Not, not us. Correct. Not 99.9% .9 of the world. Unless they need a podcast welder. I mean, I mean, you understand the logic behind having to select who would go. You want the best and the brightest. You know, you've only got a fixed number of people that you can save. You want to save the very best, right? But at the same time, you know, there's self-preservation. You're like, well, well, I've decided that I'm the best guy out there, so you better take me. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even make it past the first level of Mars One, so I'm not going for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm definitely not going. I'm okay, but as a, as a person, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that, though. You know, because it's like there's nothing I can do about it. So we can build our own ship. Sure. Well, just that's VR. worked out real well in the past. Let's just be honest. How did Buddy do anyway? That was gonna fly this thing out to prove the Earth was round. I just drove through Saskatchewan, so I'm on the fence again. I think he went a little ways and broke his arm or something. Nice. We'll send Graham up there. One you really want to get into that now, eh? No, no, we're not gonna get into that now. No, it's too late. I haven't seen quite a bit but, more but about I, that. But I, I definitely think these things are happening. And I, I don't think that it's anything that's going to happen to you or your kids. You know, I think you were a couple of generations away from it. But, you know, they're definitely planning for something. And the, the benefit is that, you know, they've, they've started to figure out how to get stuff into space and how to make space work. So, you know, that, that'll have a near-term positive impact on us, I think. Hopefully it'll be commercialized you know, at some point, yeah. Well, I mean, when I was a kid, right... You know, you'd read science fiction stories about them putting up orbital mirrors and, you know, and pipelining heavy amounts of solar radiation to fix points in the Earth. And, you know, even conventionally, they're talking about doing that now with solar farms, picking places that have high levels of sunlight, building massive solar farms, and then sticking orbital mirrors in space to pump massive amounts of sunlight to these places to generate power. You know, that's, that's a positive thing. 
That means that we get to burn less fossil fuels, have less nuclear reactors and everything else that could go wrong. Yeah, they're also talking you know? about fucking blocking us, you know, not just, you know, chemtrails. I mean, that geoengineering is a real thing that the scientists are talking about now, too. But now they're talking about a, a whole protective layer from the sun as well. I mean, just I that's one thing that really yeah. gets me is this fucking around with the atmosphere and the weather and all, all that stuff. Like, it's one thing to filter the sun to a certain spot on Earth, but to to do some mass global uh, protection scheme is just fucking ridiculous to me. Well, but they're already doing it. Uh, yeah, in my that's, that's estimation. My, yeah, yeah in, in my estimation, it's like when you're screwing around with the weather and you're screwing around with the atmosphere, do as little as possible. Do the bare minimum required to offset whatever the problem is. Yeah, but I don't even think, I mean, I, I just think that... That's just too way too complicated to be able to. Yeah, it is. The weather is a is a shifting thing, and you can already see the evidence of of you know them screwing around with the atmosphere. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, in the fall when I'd be out playing soccer, right? You know, we'd be watching electrical storms while we're on the soccer field, lightning, whatever. You know, it's it's January. It's rained. It's rained pretty decent. It's okay, but no thunder, no lightning, no nothing. You know, and it doesn't rain here as much as it used to do to rain. And I mean, I have a I have a relative who's a farmer, and this years ago I I went to his farm, and he was telling us that you know high tech farming now that they pay um, they pay like. Uh, people like climatologists to come in and tell them what the weather patterns are going to be like for their various planting seasons so that they can do the crops and, you know, they inject liquid nitrogen into the soil to boost productivity and all this other stuff. And he was saying that this is years ago. He was saying that the climatologist actually told him that the, the weather had shifted like 50 or 60 miles. So the weather that he was getting was actually more toward the, the center of the Midwest. So, and what that meant for him as an individual was that in the past, in the fall, he had actually had to use propane heaters to heat his crops so the ice wouldn't form and destroy his crops. And now he didn't have to use those propane heaters anymore. It was going to save him like a quarter of a million dollars a year in propane. So what's the, what's the cause of that? Is it all the weather modification you're talking about? Or is it like the globalists blaming yeah. us for carbon... Uh carbon exhaust and carbon dioxide i mean you know no, that's what bugs me is it's they're doing all this but they're blaming us and, and trying to tax us for it no i think it's i think it's a combination of both <laughs> i think one one causes the other that you have in this kind of a doomsday scenario right you know the the uh the vast amounts of garbage in general that we put into the air magnified by geologic instability you take that on top of it, then they have to respond and screw with the atmosphere. Then they overscrew with the atmosphere because it's a very, you know, slippery slope. And then you know you get all kinds of wacky weather. I mean, they're naming they're they're naming weather or they're naming these uh, winter storms now. And when I was a kid, that was insane. You know why they why they'd only so name you, the, they'd only name the big tropical ones or something like that or. Yeah, they would only name hurricanes. And then they started naming tropical storms. Well, I guess they always name tropical storms, but they would name hurricanes 
But now you have these winter storms that occur along the East Coast and, you know, these cyclonic vortexes of, of just sheer ice and snow. And now they name them. They name them. It's bizarre. <laughs> totally bizarre. 2024 election promises will be weather control and fusion. Well, the Chinese have already said it. You know, when they had the Olympics in, in uh, China, everybody was worried because they have such terrible pollution. The Chinese were like, ah, oh, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. And everybody's like, well, how are you going to do that? You just have insane amounts of pollution everywhere. You know, what? how are you going to take care of that in like one day? Like, don't worry about it. We got this. And then suddenly, crystal clear skies. They had high winds that pushed all the pollution out. You know, that was obvious weather modification. Yep, it's happening all over, and they're admitting it. There's fucking companies that are doing it, but they don't want to put that in the big equation, you know? Well, we did it. Something like the top. Yeah. The top 100 companies are responsible for 71% of all emissions. The top 100 100 corporations on the planet are responsible for 71% of all emissions. But you need to pay carbon tax, Graham. Yep. But, you know, we've, we've done it ourselves. I mean, when we were in Southeast Asia, you know, we did, we did barium, we uh, did barium cloud seeding and other stuff to try to flood out the tunnels along the Ho Chi Minh Trail. Yep. Project you know, I mean, Popeye. this is something that we weaponized. Yeah, we weaponized this a long time ago. Yeah. So. Huh. So I listened to your uh, podcast a couple times there. It's pretty good, too. And that, man, that, that you guys had that mind blowing episode with um, that couple from Alternative, what is it, Truth Frequency Radio or something like that? Yeah, the geos. Oh, it's just mind blowing that the Egyptian uh, ayahuasca ceremonies and the oh, oh man, yeah. traveling to the dimensions. And I mean, it, that was just fantastic episode. Yeah, Where it was. It was interesting. It's on his website. Paranoia, uh, it's on his website, Paranoia Magazine, but it also Paranoia Podcast, I believe, is what it's called. Eh, Olaf. Yeah, we call we call it the Paranoia Podcast. We're on uh, Stitcher and all those places. <laughs> we'll have to get you on iTunes, Stitcher. Yeah, we're just we're not as intense as you guys are. We you know we take long breaks to do research. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> take long breaks. Yeah, Truffaut takes long breaks. We put them out eventually. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, there's some you know some good stuff in there. I mean that that couple with the. Uh, the trip to Egypt and all that was just it was mind blowing. It was, or uh, Richard Allen Miller. That that blew my mind. I asked him. <coughs> I asked him, uh, what was the weirdest thing that you ever saw when you were doing that stuff? Uh, he he did a kind of men who stare at goats thing with the U.S. Navy and the seals, and I asked him. I said he was kind of a troubleshooter for weird things, and I. I said, what was the weirdest thing you ever saw? And he said, well, one day I got called out to the Everglades. I said, okay. He says, yeah, we found this woman's head in the Everglades and we were trying to figure out what's up. I said, well, what's weird about that? He goes, well, the weird thing is that she died two hours later. And I'm like, well, okay. I said, but, and he goes, he cuts me off. He goes, yes, her head was still attached. (laughs) 
I'm like, okay, you found her head, and she dies two hours later with her head. How does that work? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, okay. <laughs> oh, that's weird. Yeah, he, he we had him on, yeah. and, and people were trying to warn us that he was a shill and that that uh, we had him on twice. Uh, and I don't think so. I think that was a uh, different. Is that a different Richard Allen? Yeah, Miller? I think there's two different ones. Yeah, but um, <clears throat> yeah, it was. But I was a little bit leery there because, you know, people are sending me emails. I uh, watch out for that guy, and like you're gonna have all these problems happen, and that was weird. Yeah, he. We got into a very interesting conversation with him about Base Two Eleven. That's a supposed German base in Antarctica. And, you know, it's always been a lot of contention over whether there was really a base there or not. You know, what's the evidence that there was or wasn't? You know, uh, and the whole thing about the, all these U-boats being captured in Argentina. And and he was like, oh, I've been there. Oh, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> like, what was it like? He's all, it was completely destroyed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Like they'd obviously had a war down there. I'm all okay. <laughs> what war was he talking about? Oh, probably the so supposedly um what's his name? Uh Bird? Oh, his name escapes Bird. Yeah, Bird went down to Antarctica with a this big fleet and a couple thousand guys and they go down there to test cold weather conditions with their equipment. And then um Skittle, he was down there for about a like a week. Yeah, it came back real quick. Yeah. 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 And it was like, what happened? He's all, I saw strange things in the sky and things didn't make sense. And and according to Richard Allen Miller, they actually had a fight. Yeah, I was you wondering if that's it. I was wondering if that's the fight you were talking about, if it went back that far. Yeah. Like so so that base was there when Bird went there and Yeah. Oh man, there's well, supposedly some, Bird I, went there to attack it. Yeah, that's that's fascinating stuff. That Antarctica and the Nazi flying saucers. And <clears throat> I read these books. Uh, we tried to get the author on, and he just flatly refused. But in the mid '90s, nope. I read this series of books called Project Saucer, and it was a fiction fiction story about um, this genius guy. And I don't know. I don't remember if he was a Nazi or not. But he had this the the base up in Antarctica flying saucers all over the place from there and it's it was just it was a fascinating wow. fascinating book and you could tell it was based on a lot of this bird stuff and yeah secret space yeah. program stuff it's 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 one of my favorite topics well you know one of the interesting things about about the whole base 211 scenario is that everybody says well how would they get the stuff there and you know the obvious answer is cargo u-boats which did exist. But the other interesting thing is that when, when Derisi, uh, which is where they worked on the, the Bell, when Derisi was abandoned, um, Camler, the guy who's in charge, he actually had control over these massive uh, aircraft. I think he had like three of them, three <laughs> of the five that existed. And if you look at the fuel range of those aircraft, they could have easily made it with one stop. And if they chose to land those planes in like North Africa or somewhere in Africa and refuel them, they actually could have made it all the way to Antarctica. It's a, it's a Junkers. Uh, it was a six. I think it was a six engine. 
And there, there's actually a story that there's a two and there's a four engine variant of it. And supposedly they tested um, mid-air refueling by by putting a bladder of gas in the back of the the four engine version, and they actually uh, lowered like a hose to uh, to the six or eight engine one, and they were actually able to mid-air refuel it. And this was back when in the thirties, forties, forties. Yeah, yeah. Just just at the end of the war, then is what you're thinking. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it, it was possible that he could have loaded up whatever he had. And actually, you were asking about Paranoia the magazine. If there were any other articles that were good, in issue 65, uh, we're working on the the winter issue, but in 65, the the fall, uh, summer fall issue. We have an article by a guy named Walter Bosley, and Walter is a very interesting guy, but he has an obsession with arrows, the mysterious airships of 1897. Yeah. Sonora Aero Club and all that. Well, Walter was going through these uh, collages made by a guy named Delshaw that are basically uh, artistic schematics of the arrows. And in one of the, um, one of the collages, he actually found the bell. I mean, it looks like the bell. It has arrows showing the counter-rotating nature of it. And it's, it's a bell. And it, it powered one of these arrows. And then, you know, you have to follow Walter's research because he links it to... He links uh, NIMSA to the Germans and the Prussians. And there's an odd thing about, about Kamler. The Kamler was actually Prussian. And that a lot of this stuff took place in what, what had been Prussia. That uh, Derisi was in the giant, was actually located in part of what had been Prussia. So there's a deep Prussian connection to Bell Research. And there's actually a quote I found about Kamler that they, somebody asked another officer what they thought of Kamler, and they said that Kamler was very dedicated, um, but it seemed like he was beholden to someone else. But he wasn't really bought into the whole ideology of the SS and the, German, the Nazis at the time. But it almost seemed like he was taking orders from another from other people. So you make of that what you will. Well, that's kind of where I think the, the secret space programs, like some of the different programs stemmed from the separation back then. And I feel like that that's how far back these things go to the, the old airship stuff. Like it, it, it's just been oh, yeah. in, in secret for... 150 who knows how many years you know that's what i that's what i think exactly. I, think it, I think it goes way back i think it goes way 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 back like pe- like people were flying around before the wright brothers started i mean i think it's it's just that they were they weren't sort of global yet or purposefully not global i think you're right yeah i, I think you're definitely right no, it goes it goes way way back, and the linkages are very interesting when you sit down and look at it. Who was involved in what? Yeah, you've also got a, you've also got another one that's similar, like Arctic UFOs, hidden cities, military sightings, and the Hall of Earth. I mean, that's just some good articles on there. Yeah, <laughs> I try. There's actually a really interesting one um, that I wrote a while back that I, I had read in a book, not not very well publicized book, but old from the 70s, I think. And this guy was talking about test. There was this Marconi Tesla City 
in the Andes that had the, that were they had basically built whatever they wanted, and it, it coincided with Marconi's disappearance that he had he had faked his death because he didn't want to work for Mussolini anymore, and he had taken off in his he had this yacht, this like super high tech yacht, and he had taken off. And and uh, they had gone to to the Andes and actually built like some sort of a monstrous high tech city in the Andes. Oh, that's fascinating. So there's, yeah, there's a lot. It's a treasure trove. And and more recently, you know, I've been undertaking some Cold War archaeology and going out and visiting some of these old, you know, uh, kind of abandoned radar bases and transmitter sites and other stuff. So to get out you know hey guys i'm gonna have so to take off there. here i gotta right. go help out with the kids you guys right, can, you don't mind sorry Olaf, but i'm gonna have to let Graham wrap it up yeah. from here all right no problem no problem but right, i'll man. message you and we're gonna get you on the black budget asap yeah we'll get okay. into some more controversial stuff that we shouldn't be uh investigating <laughs> you boys have fun all right buddy okay thanks okay bye But yeah, it's you know there, you know it really it comes down to what you're interested in. Just you know go research it out. I mean, there's there's plenty of weird stuff out there. You just have to want to go find it. You know that's what I found. So how do you find the how do you find More the time to do that deep digging research though? Like because I've been thinking about that too. And you mentioned you kind of skitter all over the place, and that's what we're like here in the podcast is we we touch on so many different topics. And I because I'm interested in a lot of different things, but how do you find the time to to put the pieces together to come up with like an original research type thing. You know, I, f- I find it just overwhelming even thinking that yet, yet it's, it's also sort of alluring to maybe, you know, try a few of those things. You know, I think it really starts with, I see something that catches my interest, whether it's a news article or a TV show or a conversation, something will pique my interest in something. And then I just, you know, I just kind of go with it. And I, I try to track it down. <laughs> like I, you know, I I was perplexed by Alternative Three, so I just decided to figure it out. And I think the trick is to to narrow your focus, right? To say, okay, you know, I'm interested in this Tesla Marconi city, and then go figure out everything you can about that yeah 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 not not everything that tesla ever did not yeah, everything yeah. that marconi ever did yeah. just narrow it down and go for it and then start expanding from there maybe like once you get down to the you know as, as, as close to the details as you can then because i mean i i like i kind of have to do that i i don't do that on a weekly basis but the podcast is a weekly thing and i I'm trying to research for guests and like for you, you, I was like listening to some of your podcasts and reading some things. And of course that just, then I get interested in that, but then I got to switch gears the next week. And I mean, there's so many fascinating things, but eventually I'd like yeah. to maybe, maybe just what one day dig into something deep enough, but I have to sort of stay at the surface level of, of everything. You know? Well, you, you know, the, the easy way I found to do that, right. Is that I, I tell myself, okay, on Wednesdays, I'm going to do research. That's how I start. Right, right, yeah. This, you know, or, or okay, so every day I'm going to write for 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. You know, start with something that's achievable. Yeah. And, you know, and then make a list of, 
of things that you're interested in and just pick one and go for it. Yeah. And yeah, just stick on point. that like yeah. a rabid dog. Yeah. Just, I'm going to figure this one out. Yeah. So is I mean, there anything else that uh, anything else you want to mention before we start wrapping it up? Well, I was going to say that the, the one thing, though, that I, I do truly believe is that, you know, I, I say I'm a conspiracy guy, right? But the reality is I do ancient history and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. But I don't I don't like to be contained into one thing. I do what I feel like. Yeah. You know, I'm not here to make money. I, I have no profit imperative. Yeah. So for me, it really is the love of it. So yeah. I just I go for it. Yeah. Yeah, and I heard you talking about that with Ron, where you guys branched out a little bit more from, or maybe that was even tonight. I can't remember now if uh, you guys were trying to branch out a little bit more from the just straight conspiracies. I mean, and everything seems to overlap, anyways, to a certain level. It's like it's like a big everything. Everything kind of becomes a war on consciousness, really. Whether you're talking about you know yeah. paranormal or ghosts or fertian stuff or UFOs or alternative three. Right. I mean. There's so many things that overlap, even just with spirituality and self-improvement and everything. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, even even Keel and, and guys of that generation, you know, Keel had said many times that he, he felt that some of these things were ultra-terrestrial. Yeah. Right? Well, what does that mean? You know? So yeah, you just you've got to just go where you want to go and do it because you want to do it, not because somebody told you to. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that reminds me. I saw it, I saw a headline on your site about adventures through the ultra world or something like that, and and that was like a favorite orb, the orb album of mine, like this electronic. Oh, I got it. <laughs> really? Do you want to hear something? Really? You want to hear something? Oh, I love I love the orb. Oh man! You want to hear something funny? What? Okay, so Alternative Three, right? Yeah. Do you know who did the soundtrack for Alternative Three? Brian the movie, Eno. The movie. Brian Eno. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's awesome. It's all connected, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, some all of those. Because I mean, all those Orb songs are like talking about all the stuff we're talking about, like secret CIA stuff oh, yeah. or UFO stuff, and it's like the, it's like the coolest <laughs> music, and and yet I don't know anybody that really knows them, so it's awesome to hear that you know you've you've listened to some of that. Oh, Adventures yeah. of the Ultra World is like one of my favorite albums. Oh, yeah, I love it's it. just fascinating. Yeah, I love the orb. Yeah, UF right orb. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Right on. <laughs> That's hilarious. Funny. Right on, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. We should probably wrap it up, anyways. And uh, okay. really appreciate your your uh, patience with the technical difficulties and starting late and all that. Uh, we'll have you, you know, no back on again for Black Budget. And, and if you're ever in Calgary, like look us up for sure and come by and. Oh, yeah. Come in the studio. I got to get up there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Right on, buddy. Yeah, thanks a lot, eh? Cool. And, uh, yeah, yeah of course. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. Yeah, of course, uh, you know, a link to everything in the show notes. Paranoia Magazine is where everybody can find you, I'm assuming. Yep. Yeah. Awesome, Absolutely. Dude. Awesome. Keep up the good work, man. Thanks. You guys, too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah, right. for sure. Thanks, man. Okay, take care. Left me standing in the freezing cold 
Now my tattered umbrella doubles as a lightning rod for lightning bolts. If I could abracadabra, I'd reach out and grab you and take you home with me. And baby girl, you'd be my queen. Have I found you? Or is this purgatory a never ending story? And the confusion with the illusion, and the confusion with the illusions, and the confusion with the illusions. Is this heaven? Have I found you? Or is this purgatory a never ending story? The confusion with the illusion, and the confusion with the illusion, and the confusion with the illusions. You left me standing in the freezing cold, and now my tattered umbrella doubles as a lightning rod for lightning bolts. Abracadabra, I'd reach out and grab ya, take you home with me, baby girl, you be my queen. Ooh. If I could abracadabra, I'd reach out and grab ya, take you home with me, baby girl, you be my queen. Baby girl, you would be my queen. Baby girl, you be my queen. Baby girl, you be my queen. Hablando los azules,